This podcast of the Equine Forum is brought to you by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business. It all begins in 15 seconds right after this word from our podcast sponsor. The University of Louisville Equine Industry Program at the College of Business is now offering a graduate certificate which can be completed in 15 or 30 weeks and be done as a standalone or used as 20% of your MBA. Classes at both the undergraduate and graduate level are forming now for August. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Followed down the outside of the track next by Rain Road, who's finishing well, but Best Pal breaks away. With a 16th to go, Best Pal has the better of general meeting. Rain Road running a mighty race, but Best Pal clear, and Best Pal wins the maturity. At the 8th pole of the Futurity and Practical Move on the inside takes the lead. It's Practical Move booting away from Carmel Road followed by Fort Bragg. Practical Move in front and Practical Move takes the Los Alamitos Futurity. Welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. These four are now down to two. Cherokee run Prairie Bayou. But Prairie Bayou with big strides in the middle of the track leads the way by a half length. Cherokee run is there. But Prairie Bayou is going to win it at the 16th pole, Cherokee run with another try at him. Prairie Bayou kept to urging and wins the Preakness by a neck. There's three sixteenths of a mile to the finish. It's Onion on the outside. Secretariat on the rail, stride for stride, head and head. Onion on the outside, Secretariat on the rail. An eighth of a mile to the finish. The leaders head and head, stride for stride. Secretariat and Onion. Onion has the lead by a head. Secretariat on the inside, past the 16th ball. It's Onion in front by a head. Now, here's Mike Penna. Good morning once again, everyone. It is post time for the Equine Forum, the show that launched a network, and it is all presented by our friends at Twin Spires and all right here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you up until 11 a.m. Eastern, and happy to have you in the starting gate with me on Sirius 162, XM 207, our affiliates in Lexington, Louisville, and across the country, and streaming worldwide and podcast on our website, horseracingradio.net or wherever you access your podcasts. A bit of a light week when it comes to stakes action as we wind down 2023 and get ready to ramp things up going into the new year. Just six stakes races on the docket this afternoon and only one graded stakes. That's the grade two Los Alamitos Futurity in Southern California, a race which has undergone a few changes since being introduced in 1981 as the Hollywood Futurity. In 2007, the name of the race was changed to the Cash Call Futurity, which it remained until 2014 when it was relocated to Los Alamitos after the closing of Hollywood Park in December of 2013. And historically, it's been a really solid prep for the Kentucky Derby with six Derby winners using the race as a stepping stone to success on the first Saturday in May the following year. That run began with Gato del Sol in 1982, who was actually unplaced in the inaugural running of the Hollywood Futurity. He finished seventh that day. The race was won by the talented Wayne Lucas trainee, Stalwart, who never made another start after that victory. That was his final career race, and boy, did he have all kinds of promise. But you had Gato del Sol in 82. The next horse to run in the Hollywood Futurity and win the Kentucky Derby the next year was Ferdinand four years later in 86 for Charlie Whittingham. Ali Sheba did it the following year in in, in 87. Thunder Gulch came back in 95, pulled off the double, 
Real Quiet in 98. By the way, Real Quiet, the only one of those six to win his prep race, the Los Al Futurity, and then go on to win the Kentucky Derby. And, of course, at that time, it was known as the Hollywood Futurity. Uh, 2005 Giacomo, the last horse to run in this particular race and then go on and win the Kentucky Derby. And six Derby winners might not sound all that impressive when you consider races like the Florida Derby with 25, the Bluegrass, the Champagne with 23 apiece. But if you were to to post a a golf-style leaderboard of the Derby prep races that had produced the most Derby winners, the race currently known as the Los Alamitos Futurity would be tied 10th, T10. And of course, no horse has won the Kentucky Derby after running in the Los Al Futurity since it was moved to Los Al after the closing of Hollywood Park. Maybe the new curse of Apollo? <laughs> no, I don't know. But the curse of Hollywood Park, maybe. Hasn't happened since the race was moved in 2014. Horses who have run in the Los Al Futurity as a two-year-old are 0 for 10 in the Kentucky Derby the following spring. The best showing came in 2015 when the one-two finishers from the Los Alamitos Futurity, Dortmund and Firing Line, finished second and third in the Derby. Firing Line was second that day. Dortmund was third behind eventual Triple Crown winner, American Pharaoh. So I don't know. Curse of Hollywood Park, maybe. Bob Baffert is going to saddle half the field in today's renewal. No surprise there. Bob is always loaded with his juveniles out there. Three of the six runners, including morning line favorite Coach Prime, come from the Baffert barn. Cool name, by the way, Coach Prime. Prime time. Baffert has won the race a record 13 times, but only real quiet was able to win at Churchill Downs the following spring. One for 13 with the Baffert horses that have won this race. Not a great percentage there. The main danger to the Baffert trio today is likely to be the Phil D'Amato-trained Stronghold, who exits a second-place effort in the grade three Bob Hope at Del Mar. Phil D'Amato is going to be with me at 945 Eastern to talk about today's low sale futurity and talk about the talented Stronghold. He certainly has ability. Is he the type of horse that Phil believes can continue to develop the way he's going to need to develop after today's race into his three-year-old campaign? But he has to take care of business here first, later today. And is this the year, I know there's only six horses, but is this the year that we see a seventh winner come from this prep race? Like I said, six wins for a derby prep doesn't sound all that impressive, but it is tied for 10th all time. And when you take a look at the prep races that are below the Los Alamitos Futurity on the list. First of all, the Los Al Futurity with six winners is tied with the Breeders' Cup Juvenile and the Remsen. That's pretty good company. The races below it that have not produced six winners historically, the Louisiana Derby, the American Pharaoh, 
the Holy Bull, the Rebel, the Risen Star, Robert B. Lewis. Those are pretty big names. They're all below the low South futurity. So don't don't turn your nose up at six Kentucky Derby winners coming from this race. It's a pretty solid number. And we'll find out in May if it becomes number seven. But Phil D'Amato is going to be here at 945 to talk about Stronghold and taking on those three runners from the Baffert Barn later today. I'm also going to spend some time talking with jockey Jose Ortiz coming up at 815, just about 10 minutes from right now, as he prepares to ride defending champion Value Engineering in the two-mile H. Allen Jerkins handicap at Gulfstream later today. And one of the things I'm going to bring up with Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin when, we, when they join me for I Ask, They Answer in the final segment of the show at 1030 Eastern is would racing be better off if more tracks carted these types of marathon turf races, two-mile turf races? You don't often see these without jumps in the way, right? Steeplechase races. But I love these long turf races. Absolutely love them. And I think that if more tracks would card a few of these throughout the meet, I do think racing would be better off. I just enjoy these types of races, and I think betters would enjoy these types of races. Now, of course, the weather in South Florida today is a bit sketchy. We'll see if this race comes off the turf. If it does, it will likely be moved to the synthetic. And I don't think they can run two miles on the synthetic there, so it'll be a shorter distance. But if it stays on the grass at two miles, I love these types of races. And I can't think of anybody better to have the race named after than the late Alan Jerkins, who loved these types of distance races. So I'll bring that up with Dale and Tim in the final segment. But Jose Ortiz will talk about riding that two-mile race at 8.15. Trainer Jonathan Thomas is going to be with me at 9 o'clock to look ahead to today's Prairie Bayou Stakes at Turfway, where he's going to saddle likely favorite Wolfie's Dyna Ghost. He's been really good, very consistent horse. And the big news of the week, off the track, came from Kentucky Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer this week, who, who announced that he is not going to seek re-election when his term concludes in December of 2024. Thayer has been a huge, huge ally, and that might even be an understatement, massive ally to the thoroughbred industry during his 20-plus years in the Senate. How big of a loss is his departure for the industry. I think it leaves a huge void. And you can say, okay, there are plenty of friends of racing in the legislature in Kentucky. And that's true because it is Kentucky's signature industry. But losing a guy like Damon Thayer, who has been the one to go to bat for the industry and to bring up the different issues and to champion different bills that have benefited the industry over the 20-plus years he's been there is a massive loss. I don't know if you replace a guy like that. I'm going to also ask Dale and Tim that question at 10.30, but Damon is going to be here himself at 9.20 Eastern in hour two of today's show, and I'll get a chance to talk to him about that decision, about some of the things that he is most proud of when he thinks back on everything that he and the legislature in Kentucky have been able to get done for the industry, and then what things still need to be done. There will be issues that come up long after Damon has stepped away, 
What things still need to be on the front burner, if you will? All right, so stay tuned for that. Very, very busy program. Jose Ortiz in just a few minutes. 8.35, you're going to hear from trainer Jeff DeLome, the brother of Pro Bowl quarterback Jake DeLome, who last week went two for two on Louisiana Champions Day at the fairgrounds. He also won the Louisiana Champions Day Classic with Touch Upon a Star for the second consecutive year. Jeff spent a full hour with me this past week on Trainer Talk, and you're going to hear about 15 minutes of that conversation coming up at 8.35. I think you'll enjoy it. Again, Jonathan Thomas at 9 o'clock, Damon Thayer at 9.20, Phil D'Amato at 9.45. The Twin Spires Triple Play kicks off Hour 3 at 10 Eastern. Ashley Anderson has three races you can keep an eye on later today and bet at Twin Spires. Kurt Becker strolled through racing history at 10.20, and at 10.30, I ask, they answer, Dale and Tim, uh, tackling some of the hottest topics in the sport today. All of that ahead. When I come back, Jose Ortiz will join me, and I'll throw out the poll question for you here this morning. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void were prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Southgate's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear. And going to take the rear turn sprint by a widening margin. Five line ball at 875 down or down. Nine, 900 and 900,000. Standing at Judmont. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Ponds with an elevated view of the track or grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the grade one champagne stakes with a 102 buyer. At three, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the grade two Pat Day Mile. The grade one Woody Stevens winning by 10 lengths and proved much the best in the grade one H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. And there's a quarter of a mile left to go, despite being wide every jump. It's Value Engineering who's come away with the lead. From the inside in Sole Volante, ducking to the fence in Barberini. Eighth of a mile to go. It's still Value Engineering in front. Wicked Fast takes a shot at him on the outside. Value Engineering close to home on a clear lead. And Value Engineering proves much the best to win the Allen Jerkins a length and a half. Second, Wicked Fast. Up third, Barberini. Then Sole Volante. Caninos in 2.43 flat. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on this Saturday morning, the 16th day of December 2023. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you looking forward to 
a weekend of racing that's a bit light in terms of the stakes action, but a good one down in South Florida, the H. Allen Jerkins Handicap, which is a two-mile race on the grass, assuming that it stays on the turf with the weather being a bit dicey in South Florida. Value Engineering, you just heard the call from Pete Aiello, won the race a year ago. That was on the synthetic in a mile and five-eighths, and today we'll see how he fares in his title defense. Jose Ortiz is going to be aboard Value Engineering, and he's going to be with me momentarily here on the network. I want to give you the poll question. Didn't get to that in the opening segment of today's show. Going to keep it pretty simple for you here this morning. Which trainer is your 2023 MVP? And there are several individuals I feel are deserving of that title. But I'll give you a few, and then you can comment if you have somebody else. Todd Pletcher, Brad Cox, Chad Brown, and then the fourth category will be other. And please comment if you think it's somebody other than those three that should be the MVP of 2023. Todd Pletcher, Brad Cox, Chad Brown, or other. You can go to at HRRN on our Twitter feed to cast your vote, and you can do it on our Facebook page too, Horse Racing Radio Network. And um, if you don't do social media, email the show, Mike at HorseRacingRadio.net, and let me know your thoughts on which trainer should be the 2023 MVP. Well, as a champion jockey, Jose Ortiz know what, knows what it's like to be at the top of the mountain and be an MVP and uh, kind enough to spend a little time with me here this morning. Jose, good morning, my friend. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully, my friend. Looking forward to this two-mile race later today. Let's start with the weather. What's it like in South Florida? Well, honestly, I think the race is going to be off. It's going to come out to the tapira just like last year. Uh I mean, it's pretty windy. It rained overnight, and it's supposed to be supposed to be rainy by lunch by lunchtime. So it's supposed to rain a lot uh, during the races today. In the first segment of the show, I talked about the fact that I feel racing would be even better if tracks were to card more of these longer marathon types of races on the grass. What do you think? Do you do you like riding these kinds of races? Uh, yeah, it's, it's nice to ride, but, I mean, we got it. I mean, it's, it's a breathing issue, I believe. Uh, not a lot of horses want to go this long anymore, you know. And uh, it's hard to find these kind of horses. Yeah, yeah. It, it's um, it's definitely a specialty type of distance, right? When you're riding a horse in a two-mile race, are you always thinking about saving something for the end? Is that... Is that kind of the mentality with a long race like that? Well, my how I approach the race always is try to break good and let my horse relax wherever I am. Let let him relax. Is usually it's gonna be a three turn race, so safe ground in two turns and in the third turn you can do whatever you want. Or if if you wide on the first turn, then you know you can be wide on the on the last turn. So. I mean, let the horse relax and say, save as much ground as I can. That's my approach to, to those these kind of races. Do you ever get tired riding a two-mile race? No, because when the horse get a nice, comfortable rhythm, you just gallop in there, you know, you're in a nice rhythm with them. And uh, no, not really. I know you're fit. Your legs don't start burning or anything, your thighs, No. 
No, no. But <laughs> honestly, mo- most of these guys, they, they, they are on the same level of fitness. So, I mean, <laughs> I ride with, it, with them every day and none of them seem very, uh, none of them seem tired after a race. So, I think we, we are in pretty good shape. <laughs> you know, you're not the first jockey to talk about getting a horse to relax during a race, Jose. How does a jockey go about getting a horse to relax and settle in? It's a lot of horses that they do it on their own, but it's some of them that are a little bit keen that, I mean, if you know the horse, you just try to break quietly, don't mess with your hands, don't move your hands a lot, and, you know, it's, every horse is different, so... It's a good thing you ride them in the past that you already know them. If you don't know them, then you have to, that's the hard part. You have to adapt very quickly to that horse in a matter of seconds. And I think that's where a lot of jugs make the difference right there. You know value engineering pretty well. The last three times you were aboard him, you win the Allen Jerkins. You end up second, beaten just the length in the grade three W.L. McKnight last year at Gulfstream, or earlier this year, I should say, in January. And then you win the grade two McDermott. So two wins in a second from three tries aboard him. His best finish without you on him over his last 10 starts is third in allowance company. So you know him well. He likes you being aboard him. Obviously, he responds to you. What is it about that relationship with this horse? No, I've just, uh, I don't know. I just let him be happy. And uh, like I said before, just break and let him be him and let him get into a good rhythm and a good position. I think if when you kind of stop these kind of horses, they, they're not fast horses, so you cannot stop them or fight with them too much. So I'm going to look for a nice trip on the rail, but let him run to the first turn. Whatever we gonna be, I think it's gonna be on the tapira. So just let him run to the first turn and get into a comfortable rhythm early on. And if it goes to the tapita, the distance would not be two miles. I guess it would revert back to what it was last year, right? A mile yeah, and mile five and eighths. Eight. Yep, yep. So the inside draw, mile and five eighths on the synthetic there at Gulfstream. And do you train? Do you change your strategy at all? Do you have to do anything different? I think I'm in a great spot. You want to be saving ground i mean it's but uh mm, the main thing is gonna be a good break if he break clean going into the first into that first turn then it's perfect because then you're already inside you don't have to go anywhere so i i see one other speed in there and that be it and that's it like I'd probably just be sitting second, chilly, and waiting the time to let him go. If he responds good, I think it's gonna be. I think we're gonna have a good trip today. You know, your brother's also in that race, and I remember uh, sitting down with you and Arad together at Saratoga several years ago, and we we did an interview, and you talked about your relationship and the closeness that you have with your brother and your family, and um, it was one of the more enjoyable conversations that. I've ever had on radio. I, I remember it vividly. Um, tell me about, you know, now seeing Irad have all this success and you continue to be highly successful. Um, tell me about what it's like, 
you know, being two of the top jockeys, if not the top two in the country. Oh, it's great, Mike. It's, it's awesome. Awesome, you know. Uh, to see where, where we come from, and we both, like, just living the dream is, is, is amazing. Uh, he's a great guy. He works hard. And, you know, he's he's having a lot of success in, in, in last six, seven years, you know. And uh, I'm very happy to see it. But, uh, of course, I want to... I want to beat him as much as I can, and we all here to compete for for Eclipse and uh, be on the mix or whatever. But I'm very happy. I'm proud of, of the of him. You know, he he, he deserves everything that's happening to him. He works hard, and he's an amazing jock. He he's blessed with with ability that he just born for. It, you know, he's very natural, and uh, horses run for him. What makes him such a good rider, Jose? I don't know. I think it's uh, something that is a gift, you know. You're born with it, and then you polish it. But I think he's born with something something else. <laughs> well, you are too. And there have to be some similar traits with you and your brother, whether it's work ethic or whether it's, you know, uh, talent level, whatever it might be, some intangibles. What are a couple of the things that you and Arad have in common? that allow you to be so successful? Well, discipline. Uh, discipline is one of them. That's the most important one. Uh, work. We work hard, uh, but that, that comes with the discipline as well. And uh, I think uh, just the way you, you, you all walk around, you know, you, you respect everyone. And uh, I mean, do you make good relationships, and uh, that that everything comes together. So you have a good discipline. You work hard. You respect everyone. You're gonna get good opportunities, and if if, if you a good rider, then you're gonna get good mounts, and you just take it. You know, it's, I think, and you you need a good agent, which we have. And that's uh, about it. But the most thing is you got to be disciplined and you got to work hard. Yeah. Yeah. Talking with Jose Ortiz Jr. here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh, Jose, are you a, a goal-oriented type of person like a lot of other professional athletes? Uh, what do you mean? I mean, do you set goals for yourself? Oh, goals. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, every year you set goals. I mean, uh, of course, now we're coming to January. We're going to start a fresh year. So the goal would be to be number one. I mean, everybody, whoever is going to come into January thinking they're not going to be number one, then they not believing in themselves, you know. You got to come into a new year with your goals and trying to be number one and just that's my goal every every new year just find a good two-year-old find a good derby mile find a good kentucky like try to get a good horse in every category so that will be my goal do you think you have a good two-year-old now 
in Locked, who won the Claiborne Breeders Futurity? He's very nice. I actually have two. I think Sierra Leone is a pretty good horse as well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I like my chances for this, uh, for the derby preps on, on those two horses. Uh, of course, a lot of, a lot of, I'm going to write a lot of more three-year-olds coming up. So I think it's early and a lot of horses can get a lot better in this next two months. You know, the next 60 days are key for, for, for these three-year-olds. We always talk about their development and how much they grow into their their frame physically from two to three in these couple of months, and then mentally how much they mature. That's a real thing, isn't it? It is real, yeah. You can see a horse in in July, and then you see the horse in February the next year, and it's two different horses, you know. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that change mentally and physically. And I, I think uh, sometimes the, the 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 Derby winner does debut like in November or December, stuff like that. So anything can happen, and that's why you gotta keep working and try to keep finding as much two-year-olds as you can. Like you don't, you never know which one is gonna be the one. Yeah, and I guess the more the more options you have at this point along the road to the Kentucky Derby the better, right? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Sierra Leone, uh, a horse that was very impressive, breaking his maiden, came back in the Remsen Stakes, ends up finishing second that day. Um, He's a horse that, to me, looks like he still has a little maturing to do, but he is ultra, ultra talented. Yeah, for sure. He, I think he's special. And you see the the replay from that day, it wasn't a one horse that came from the back. Everybody was on the lead or second, and that horse came from far back and and he from a pretty good race. So I think he's a nice horse and he needs to grow up a little bit more mentally. And I think he will. He's a he's a nice horse and you know Chad is is great. And but like I say, the next thirty forty five days are gonna be key on, on those kind of horses. So. They need to grow up. They need to mature. And if they do, you know, they give you that step forward that, that you need. I made a comment on the show last week talking about that, Remsen, that to me, Doorknock showed an awful lot of heart. And it looked like Sierra Leone was home free when he passed him in, in mid-stretch. And then Doorknock comes back and gets the victory by a nose. But I said Doorknock came back and won that race. Sierra Leone did not lose the race, meaning he didn't just give up when he made the lead. Am I right or wrong on that, Jose? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to tell because he makes such a good run, such a big run, you know. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I felt like what I felt was like Dortnach kind of made the, a good lead and kind of wait a little bit on horses. And when he felt me, he kind of re-break a little bit. But my heart was logging in a little bit, and I never should go very close to him. But because my heart was running and he was logging in a little bit, I kind of let it drift in, and then I meet him, and and that horse, yeah, he 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 came back like he he got a big heart, 
because he went fast. He was he was a fast pace of of up front. And you know, it is it was heartbreaking. Uh, I wanted to win that race, and uh, I mean, like I say, it's always to win those kind of races that prep you for the Derby. You get points. You know, it's a point system, so yeah, you gotta try to get as much as you can. You know, is Locked a different type of horse than Sierra Leone? Uh, very similar horses, very similar horses, very, uh, they very relaxed, both very classy, they, nothing bothers them, which I like, you need that, uh, I think Lock, the Santanita track was, was very speedy, uh, the other top horse freaked out that they feared went to... He's second, and he keep just running. He run very good. He's a good horse as well. But he, my uh, luck only got beat a nose or a head for second. So I think he run good. He was climbing a little bit with the dirt that day. I think he he's still learning, and he, he's gonna move forward. I really Close. like that. I really like luck luck as well. Uh, he's a very 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 nice horse. Well, Jose, I'm happy to see you with a couple promising runners, and that's nothing new. You've been at the top of the game for a long time, and uh, you're all class, my friend. I really appreciate the visit here this morning. I told you I'd keep you 15 minutes. We went a little over that, but it was so enjoyable. Thank you for spending the time. Good luck later today. Safe trip every time you get a leg up, and a Merry Christmas to you and your family, my friend. Thank you. You too, Mike. All right, buddy. That's jockey Jose Ortiz here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Uh, yeah, what a what a great guy. And there he is talking about locked, talking about Sierra Leone. You want a little inside baseball from the guy who knows those horses as good as anybody? You got it. Um, looking ahead to the first Saturday of May next year, we'll see how those horses develop and mature over the next couple of months. And you heard him talk about the next two months being critical in the development of a horse. It certainly is. There's no doubt about it. And we'll see how those two continue to mature. And we'll see if he can get it done with value engineering later today at Gulfstream Park. Time now for your Legends of the Turf. When I come back, I'm going to bring you a segment from this week's Trainer Talk show, my conversation with trainer Jeff DeLome. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Stay with me. It's all ahead after your Legends of the Turf. Pouring back the sands of time through the hourglass of racing history to a late November day in 1923 brings us to the story of a match race between two superb thoroughbreds who squared off in a rubber match having defeated each other once already. It was at Churchill Downs, and an enormous crowd had assembled for what promised to be a dandy in no uncertain terms. The combatants, Harry of Sinclair's Zev and Carl Weidemann's In Memorial. Zev had won the first confrontation between the two in that year's edition of the Kentucky Derby, and In Memoriam had turned the tables on his foe in the Latonia Championship Stakes barely three weeks before this particular match race. Each of the owners put up $10,000. The Kentucky Jockey Club did likewise. The winner was to take home $25,000, the loser $5,000. Earl Sandy was in the saddle on Zeb. Matt Garner drew the assignment on In Memoriam. Zeb was a big brown horse wearing blinkers for this match, and In Memoriam was a strapping bay with a deep chest and a long free stride. When they lined up at the barrier, every eye was glued to the two stalwarts, and the excitement and anticipation of the moment was indeed intense. Zeb made a false start. Then starter William Hamilton let them go on their way to a race that to this very day underscored in the annals of sport as one of the all-time great ones. 
Zev broke out on top, but apparently under orders, Sandy wrapped up his mount a bit and let In Memoriam under Garner go on out to set the pace. Down the stretch, neath the hallowed twin spires, and on into the turn, it was In Memoriam by a length. On around the clubhouse turn, they stayed the same way, and as they went down the backside, In Memoriam opened the lead up to a length and a half. At the half-mile pole, in memoriam headed by two, and Zeb's fans began to wonder if their favorite could catch his rival, who was running easily and being well-rated by Garner. At the three-furlong marker, Sandy dropped his mount down and asked for a run, and a run he got. The white silks of the Rancocas stable glistening in the fall sunlight began to cut down the margin, and by the time they hit the top of the stretch, they were racing as a team, a ton of horse flesh pounding powerfully to the wire. This, my friends, was a horse race by any measure or means. In memoriam on the rail, Zev matching marvelous strides just to the outside of him. As they thundered down the straight, Zev drew away to an open length lead, and then a length and a half, but with a furlong to run. It was for practical purposes all over. It appeared in memoriam was a beaten horse, but wait just one minute. Garner began pumping, whipping and driving furiously, and with enormous courage, In Memoriam came on again, closing the gap with every long, smooth stride. Late on that bright, sunny autumn afternoon, with shadows creeping across the racing surface, these two titans of the turf with their brilliant riders driving their mounts forward in synchronized motion provided the vast throng with the most magnificent spectacle of sport. The crowd roar had been swelling to now reach a crescendo, as the two locked together just noses apart, only jumps to the wire. The 40,000 on hand at Churchill that day breathlessly spent from what had been a spectacular race. As they hit the wire within memoriam on the rail, Zev on the outside, nothing to separate them. Zev roared some, and memoriam roared others. It's a dead heat, yelled one spectator who nearly toppled from a perch on the grandstand roof from all the excitement. Jack Dempsey, a long-time well-noted turf observer, called it In Memoriam by a nose. In Memoriam, the wires flashed and the telephones called out. But wait just one minute. The call came out that Zeb had been declared the winner. So close was the finish that will always be, to this very day, a matter of dispute amongst those who saw it as to which horse actually had won it. There were no photographically recorded finishes in those days, only three placing judges hovering above the track at the wire, who apparently saw Zev's brown nose at the wire, a bare fraction before In Memoriam's ruddy bay nostrils. Both riders, Sandy and Garner, had handled their mounts beautifully. Losing owner Carl Weideman said to winning owner Harry Sinclair, quote, it was a race fit for kings between the two best horses ever to be found, unquote. It all happened November of 1923 at Churchill Downs, a great moment in thoroughbred racing. You're listening to HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires, download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The 2024 Stallion roster at Adina Springs North offers exciting opportunities for breeders. Tap into the famed Leafard's Delta family with American Guru, a winner over a mile on turf in 132.09. His sire produced classic winners Empire Maker, Grindstone, and Red Bullet. 
and his first runners are on track in 2024. Shaman Ghost is Ghost Sapper's best son, a multiple grade one winner of $3.8 million. His first crop of Ontario sired runners start in 2024. Adina Stallion's silent name is the only son of Sunday Silence at stud in North America and Canada's champion sire three years in a row. Signature Red is the only son of Bernstein at stud in Canada and the best value stud in the country. And Dynaformer's heir point of entry is Canada's number one sire by progeny earnings, turf sired, and average earnings per runner on turf in 2023. Learn more at adinastallions.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Touch upon a star in front for Tim Thornton at the quarter pole. Dumbarumba second, well back. Bayou Jam and finally Cosmic Train. Last to make the top of a fairground stretch. Touch upon a star. Leads Tumbarumba now by three with one furlong to go. Tim took a peek back and Touch upon a star has widened to a four length lead. Tumbarumba second, well clear. They're coming up toward the line. Touch upon a star. Tumbarumba chased throughout. Touch upon a star. Tumbarumba, the Louisiana Champions Day Classic, one, two. Cosmic Train and Bayou Jam was last to the four, 150.12. Touch upon a star, wire to wire. John G. Dooley with the call of last weekend's Champions Day Classic, Louisiana Champions Day Classic at the fairgrounds, going to touch upon a star for the second consecutive year under jockey Tim Thornton for trainer Jeff DeLome, the brother of NFL Pro Bowl quarterback, Jake DeLome, who is the man who guides Set Hut Racing, the owners of Touch Upon a Star. Going to hear from Jeff coming up momentarily as he took time to spend an hour with me on Trainer Talk presented by Fasic Tipton this past Wednesday. You can listen to the entire podcast of the show uh, on our website at horseracingradio.net. But um, you're going to hear about 15 minutes of that conversation coming up momentarily. Jonathan Thomas, who will saddle the favorite in today's Prairie Bayou Stakes at Turfway Park, will be with me 9 Eastern. Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer at 920, talking about his decision to not run for re-election next December, and he'll share his thoughts on where the horse industry stands today. That comes up at 920. 945, trainer Phil D'Amato, looking ahead to today's Los Alamitos Futurity. 10 o'clock Eastern, the Twin Spires triple play with Ashley Anderson. Kurt Becker stroll through racing history at 1020. And Dale and Tim with I Ask the Answer at 1030 Eastern. All of that still to come. But as I mentioned, Jeff DeLome went two for two on Louisiana Champions Day last Saturday, including that big win in the Classic. He is now eight for his past 12. That is a sizzling 67% win rate. And Jeff started by talking about this current hot streak and what it's been like for him. It's great. It's kind of like, a, you know, horses are doing all the work. You know, we really don't do much other than just, you know, kind of keep them happy. But we've been blessed to have a small stable of some really nice horses headed by two really good ones. Yeah, yeah. And touch upon a star, maybe the the true star of the stable right now. He is a back-to-back winner of the Louisiana Champions Day Classic Stakes. He did that, as I mentioned, on Saturday. He also settled Mangum to victory in the Louisiana Champions Day Sprint Stakes. So two for two. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it, it, like I said, it's those horses are really nice horses that we just you know got lucky. We you know liked them as yearlings when we bought them, and they just they just matured into something that you would 
hope all the horses, you know, mature into. Take me back to Saturday at the fairgrounds. Put me there with you. What was the day like for you? Oh, it was a great day. Uh, you know, we had a truck full of people. Everybody went. Uh, my guys from the tr- uh, from the training center, dad, brother, uh, close friend, owner of Cosmic Train, who was also in the feature with is an old friend of the family that uh, one of the only other outside horses we keep in our barn. And a uh, beautiful day. Uh, my wife, my two kids came. Jake's wife, kids came, and a lot of friends from hometown. A lot of guys we know from a. Uh, you know, New Orleans, and it was just a beautiful day, and I couldn't have written a better ending the way, you know, it happened that day. You know, it's funny, Jeff. I say this a lot on various programs here on the network, and when I talk to people that that are with their family on big days like this at the races, and they get to enjoy the highs and even the lows that come along with this sport with their family, that's a special thing, isn't it? Oh, it's yeah, it, it really is, and, you know, and, like my wife and my mom and and Jake's wife, they you know they put forth the effort to make it there in those big days to you know just hopefully we have a, a day like we did and you know it all paid off. So, but yeah, it's it's those days are few and far between. And you know, right now it's like uh, Jake and I enjoy so much of every start touch upon the start makes every start manga makes because you know we know it's not forever, but we've just you know we we've, we've had a blast these past year and a half. We've mentioned an awful lot of names in a very short time to kick off the show here. Let's kind of set the stage for people. You come from a racing background, Jeff, a racing family, if you will, going back to your grandfather, Sanders, and you mentioned your father, Jerry, who, by the way, is still training some horses, and he did run against you in that in that classic stakes with Cosmic Train. He ended up finishing third. Um, your brother, Jake DeLome, people will know him from the NFL, a Pro Bowl quarterback, um, and, and now the owner of Set Hut Racing, which is the, the stable that you train for uh, with your brother. And that is just so cool to be able to do that. But um, it, it, is, it truly is a family affair for the DeLomes, isn't it? Oh, it is. And, you know, and when you say we, my dad and I, Jerry, ran against each other in classics, they, we kind of just ran together. You know, Set Hut as a whole is like, you know, kind of, overshadows everybody me my dad and jake and we you know we don't train against each other the horses that are under jerry's name the horses that are under my name are all really under the same umbrella with you know jake making all the calls because jake is also like me a third you know generation horseman so he's not his knowledge is just as much as all of us put together and he you know he yeah i guess he takes of all the i guess conditioning strength training all the doctors and trainers he's seen along the way in the sports aspect because he was a, you know, he has experience in the, in the track and field also, you know, kind of puts it all together and, you know, just works really together, you know, with all of us, you know, because they all, we're basically all one and the same, you know, so it's like we're not competing against each other. They just, you know, all kind of compete with each other. You know, Jeff, that's one heck of a quarterback to have running the show for set HUD, isn't it? It is. It is. And hey, I enjoy it. I, I much prefer taking uh, uh, taking instructions than, than giving instructions because I can always blame Jake if something goes bad. So I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the ultimate yes man in the in the in the organization. Well, let's let's talk about those two horses that won on Saturday and then we'll get into more of your family background and that history there. Um, touch upon a star. He has been the true star. Um Back-to-back winner of that classic. Tell me more about him and his story. He, uh, 
Jake and I have kind of almost watched him grow up uh, right down the road from where we train. Uh, the breeder, Colto, Keith Myers, and Ginger Myers. Uh, one of the guys, uh, Andrew Carey, it's kind of like their bloodstock agent, kind of overlooks. And Andrew has become real good friends with the family. When he comes in town, look at all his clients' horses, he stays at Jake's house. And we always kind of tag along with him and go look at all the weanland yearlings because, you know, that's what we like to do. That's what we do. And we just, we kind of saw Touch Upon a Star as a weanland, saw him as a yearling. They told, you know, he went to the Dallas sale. We kind of followed him there. Not saying that he stuck out and he was the best horse, and that it was just something we thought we might like to have if we can afford him. You know, ended up buying him in the tech, in the Dallas Fort Worth sale for I want to say like fifteen thousand. Uh, he yep. was always nice, you know, confirmation really good. He just started growing and growing and growing, galloping really good, really smart. He went through a goofy stage, then it started, you know, getting almost back to the way he looked as a year and getting all proportioned and just it just went uh real jake took it real slow with him worked him a couple of times yeah not bad broke him out the gates with a couple of older horses that had a little speed and he just jumped out the gates and went to running and jake and i said oh we might have something special and we we were trying to get this two-year-old uh i want to say the fairground season when he had his first start i think he ran second that day and it was kind of like a trainer's era you know, we didn't have enough time. We were trying to catch that big purse. You know, it is what it is. Ran second, kind of didn't break well because he didn't have enough experience in the gates. And, you know, from then on, the next race after that is just he exploded and it's just been a whirlwind. And he's been, you know, he's been taking everything in stride. You know, Jake's been giving him his rest that he needs in between races, not trying to kill him because he's done a whole lot more than we ever dreamed. So right now it's just pick a race. Try to get to him. Let him pull. He pulls out of his race. Tells us when he's ready to run again. And you know, Jake makes a decision on where we're going from there. And with the program, it is like it is in Louisiana. We really don't have to go out of state to you know chase any money. Yeah, the program there is really strong, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. You know, we have two opportunities to run. Uh, the Champions Day is 150,000. Premier United Delta another 150. Mm-hmm. Evangelic has a couple of stakes here and there. You know. And we just, we, he has more than enough opportunity to, you know, make make the kind of money he needs to make and, you know, accomplish the things he's doing, you know, in state. Jake was kind enough to take some time for an interview with me last December. It was for our Christmas Eve program that we did here on the network. And one of the things he told me about Set Hut and his approach to the game, he said, you know, I'm all about Louisiana. I have all Louisiana breads, and I'm hoping that one day one of those Louisiana breads can be cultivated to the level where they can go out and they can compete on some of these bigger open stakes, maybe at Churchill Downs or wherever the case might be. And you mentioned Touch Upon a Star getting his shot in the Steve Sexton mile, which was at Lone Star in May. Um, do, do you see this as a horse? He's, he's a gelding, Jeff. So do you see him as a horse that maybe – is that one that can start competing with, you know, open in, in greatest stakes maybe? I really do. Uh, are we going to ever try him? I, I don't know. You know, that's that's going to be solely up to Jake. I'm satisfied in staying in Louisiana. If he wants to go out and test the waters, sure. Uh, you look at his numbers, you can kind of put him up against anybody. I mean, the guy, the horse that ran second in Champions Day, Tumba Rumba, I think he ran – 
at the Remington Derby, you know, in the graded mm-hmm. race, ran second, you know, and, you know, the, Del, the Delta Mile, he beat the horse that ran third in the Travers, you know, so that just the form tells you, I think he can run against those horses. Are we, I don't know. That's going to, like I said, that's solely up to Jake. I'm, I'm more than happy and satisfied on everything he's accomplished. Do I want to go out of, out of state with him? Uh, maybe. Do I maybe want to keep him in Louisiana and keep him really sound and run for three or four years? And when we, if we lucky enough, we can retire him and he'll have, let's say, you know, what, $2 million, the best Louisiana bread that ever ran. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's the answer, but whatever the answer is, Touch Your Porn Star is going to let us know where we go with him and the, and the decisions by Jake. I asked Jake what he – loved most about being part of racing and and jeff here's what he had to say i think for me it gives me that competitive void um that i think you miss from playing um in the nfl or playing sports i um there's just something about it it's so difficult and I, when i try to explain to my friends who i played in the nfl with and things like that is that if you're successful as an owner let's say or a trainer 20 percent of the time you win 20 percent of the time you're pretty darn successful. Well, find a quarterback that wins twenty percent of his games. Yeah, you're not you're not playing. You're you're cut. You know, yep. it's uh it's it's hard, it's difficult and I think that's what I enjoy so much about it. I, I love the the yearling sales. I love the, the breeding aspect of it. I love looking at, you know, these young prospects, watching them and kinda envision what they're gonna be when they grow older and and then what works, what doesn't work. I just just everything about it. But I think the biggest thing is the competition aspect. That's the thing that really drives me. I love to compete. And like everybody in this game, you love to win. And uh, this game can humble you like no other. Um, and you're always learning. You're constantly learning. And that's just something about it. It's, a, it's, it's my drug of choice, and, and I, I certainly love it. Jeff, are you as competitive as Jake? Uh, you know, I think maybe as a younger man I was. Uh, I, I don't know if I, I still am. I don't think I am as much as Jake. Uh, but then again, it's almost – I've basically almost lived my life through Jake. You know, when I when I finished college, you know, sure, I, I was my, – my goal was to maybe go play in the NFL a little bit. Had a, a bad injury where I never had the opportunity to try. Not saying I could have done it, but from there I just went to watch Jake play in college because I'm – He's five years younger than me, and then followed him in the pros, and then he gave me the opportunity to work for him with the horses. So I guess I just, I'm all, kind of like I said, I just hung on to his coattails, and he's drugged me around, and I've had a great career enjoying watching him. It's almost I, I've lived almost his life, you know, in, in the shadows of his life, and you know, I feel like all of his accomplishments are things that I've felt. So I don't think I'm as competitive as he is, but, yes, I'm still competitive. And I, I enjoy the hard work like Jake does. And I, I put it this way, I wish he was my older brother because I could have learned a whole lot faster in life <laughs> watching the way he, his work ethic is and stuff like that. And I've learned a lot from him, you know, being, being an older brother. Well, baby brother has taken you on quite a ride, and that NFL career was outstanding. Got to play in the Super Bowl, Pro Bowler, all of those things that that came his way because of all of his hard work and his dedication. Jeff, what are some of your most, uh, I guess, your fondest memories of Jake's football career? I would think uh, 
in college, foremost, uh, he went to U- UL, uh, USL was called back then. They beat uh, a ranked Texas A&M team at the Cajun Field. And remember jumping on the field with all the student section tearing down the goalpost and bringing it out of the stadium. That was great. Uh, I remember the NFC Championship game when he played in Philadelphia. Uh, me and a good friend of mine, we flew because Jake didn't want anybody flying because he heard stories about the fans. But he wasn't stopping me to go. So me and my buddy went and uh, – after the game, you know, end up winning, and I'm going through the stands, and the and the crowd, the people were terrible over there, like really ugly. And I'm picking up posters, going me Jake in the locker room after, and I guarantee you, I had like at least five posters had Jake Delhomme sucks all over, and I had them all wrapped up on my arm. And after we kind of celebrated outside the uh, Philadelphia Stadium, it was just it was a blast. We went to Seattle for the other NFC Championship game, just. The Super Bowl, it just, it's just been a wild ride. And I just, I can't thank him enough, uh, you know, bringing, bringing me along for the ride. Yeah. You, you know, I was, I was disappointed in the Super Bowl, and that was in 2004 when the Panthers faced off against the New England Patriots. And Patriots won 32 to 29. But as a lifelong Pittsburgh Steeler fan, I was cheering for Carolina. I did not want New England to win that game in any form or fashion. And, and man, what a, what a game that was, though, huh? Oh, it was crazy. I could see we were in a suite on the top of Reliance Stadium, and in the corner they had this red Cadillac convertible. That's what the MVP was getting after the game. And, look, we were up not much longer. I said, oh, Jake's going to win MVP. I'm going to church in that Cadillac Sunday morning. (laughs) So we ended up losing, and everybody's, you know, crying. We go pick up Jake in the little bus after – and everybody, nobody's saying anything. Everybody's scared to death say anything, you know, to hurt Jake's feelings over there. And he walks in. I said, Jake, I could have been driving that Cadillac if Casey wouldn't have kicked it out of bounds. <laughs> you know, kind of everybody kind of started laughing there. But God, it was a, it was a great experience. Now, so many great experiences recently for trainer Jeff Delome and that great story there. Uh, my thanks to him for taking time to join me for a full hour on Trainer Talk again. That interview available on our website and on every podcast platform if you want to hear that full hour conversation he is so much fun and so happy for all of his success and the success for the team headed up by jake delome when i come back i'll get you ready for hour number two and pass along an update on the poll question here this morning this is the equine forum on the horse racing radio network the national hbpa is continuously working to protect the health and welfare of horses by advocating and funding research to help reduce equine injuries, lobbying for a national testing lab to oversee and establish absolute uniform laboratory protocols, advocating for every track to undergo an annual independent surface assessment, passionately supporting off-the-track thoroughbred retirement facilities and adoption groups, and so much more. See additional HBPA initiatives at nationalhbpa.com. Small cell lung cancer can affect anyone, not only smokers. The good news is early lung cancer screenings can detect small cell lung cancer before it spreads when the disease is most treatable. Join Stand Up to Cancer and Jazz Pharmaceuticals to raise awareness of small cell lung cancer and accelerate the pace of research. Ask your healthcare provider about screening options that might be right for you or a loved one. Visit standuptocancer.org slash lung to learn more. 
what's up, y'all? I'm Kelly Clarkson, and as the daughter of a school teacher, I know just how important education is. No matter how old you are or your situation, continuing to learn will enrich your life and help remove barriers you didn't even know were there. So much opportunity, y'all. Whether it's a foreign language, history, or a different way to look at things, take some time each day to learn something new. This message is courtesy of the United States Air Force. Joe Buck and John Smoltz welcoming you back to the City Center Convenience Mart. Well, John, the stage is set for the final transaction. That's right, Joe. Heather's moment has arrived, and you just hope all that training pays off. Heather lays down her purchase, but Randy rings it up as slowly as he can. He is a wily veteran. It gives Heather's eyes the chance to wander. Uh-oh. Yep, she's looking at the cigarettes. There's nothing good back there. Quit now, and in five years, your odds of getting certain cancers drop 50%. Meanwhile, Randy's stone-faced. He's giving nothing away. He just stands there, wetting his cashier's finger on that sponge. Heather toes the rubber. Here we go. Heather's arm is in motion. But instead of pointing at the back wall, she just grabs the gum off the counter. That's a slick move. Heather back, back, back. She is out of there. Even Randy tips his cap to Heather. Stand up to cancer and rally wants you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Thursday evenings, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, is the brisnet.com call-in show. It's your chance to call in and let the Horse Racing Radio Nation know what's on your mind. Call us at 888-966-HRRN. That's 888-966-4776. And discuss the topics you choose in the world of thoroughbred racing. The brisnet.com call-in show. Sirius 162, XM207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. As they corner in the autumn stakes, Wolfie's Dino Ghost in front, went for the money second. On the inside, Luckman, and then came Artie Storm and Tyson, but Wolfie's Dino Ghost racing away with it. Wolfie's Dino Ghost has absolutely toyed with them, and the autumn stakes was absolutely in the bag for Wolfie's Dino Ghost from the get-go. Wins by four and a quarter lengths. Second win for the money, third Luckman. Artie Storm next, Tyson a disappointment, and last, War Bomber, 142.52. Robert Geller with the call of the Autumn Stakes, last time out for Wolfie's Dynaghost, a very impressive victory that day. That is a win that has made him the likely favorite in today's Prairie Bayou Stakes coming up at Turfway Park later tonight. Going to be joined by Jonathan Thomas to kick off hour number two to talk about Wolfie's Dynaghost, so stay tuned for that. Um, poll question this morning. Which trainer is your 2023 MVP? And I gave you a few choices. And then, of course, the other category where you can comment with somebody other than the top three. Todd Pletcher, Brad Cox, Chad Brown, or other. And among the three choices I've given to you, Brad Cox is leading the way with 37% of the vote. But we are getting responses to the other category. Uh, Jenna Antonucci getting a lot of love. And what she accomplished this year, that historic season, certainly deserves to be in the MVP conversation. Um, that is also what Larry says, LT in Louisville, emailing the show uh, and says Jenna Antonucci. Tom in St. Louis says Bill Mott, and Bill Mott is getting a lot of play as well. A lot of people looking at what he did in the Breeders' Cup and then earlier races throughout the year, uh, and he had a tremendous year. So for those saying Bill Mott, hard to argue with that too. Uh, keep those votes coming at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and 
yes, you can do what Larry and Tom have done and email the show, Mike at horseracingradio.net. Hour two is coming up next right after this 10-second pause for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network, where racing comes to talk. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna with you on this Saturday morning, as always, continuing on right up until 11 a.m. Eastern on the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. If you missed any portion of the first hour of the program, that entertaining conversation with Jeff DeLome at 8.35, or if you missed my conversation with Jockey Jose Ortiz, who was fantastic, talking about him talking about his brother, talking about how they go about their business, how they how they handle things, and the things they do that allow them to be at the top of the game year in and year out. Head back to the website, horseracingradio.net. You can listen to those conversations. How, Jose also talked about a couple of his top two-year-olds that he rides looking to get to the Kentucky Derby next year. Again, the podcast on our website and every podcast platform. Follow us on social media at HRRN. On Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network. On Facebook, another way to keep in touch with the show and see what's coming up. Uh, Jonathan Thomas set to join me momentarily. We'll talk about the Prairie Bayou Stakes tonight at Turfway Park. Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer at 9.20 discussing his decision to step away and not run for re-election when his term comes up at the end of next year. That's December of 2024. We'll talk to Damon about that and some of the things that he feels still need to be done within the horse industry going forward, even after he steps away. And I'm going to ask him, who's going to pick up the baton? Who's going to take the ball and run with it here? It's hard to replace a guy like Damon Thayer. Who does he see is the next person that will champion horse racing in the legislature in Kentucky? Phil D'Amato with me at 945 to look ahead to the Los Alamitos Futurity. 10 o'clock, it is the Twin Spires Triple Play with Ashley Anderson. Three races you can keep an eye on and bet at Twin Spires later today. Kurt Becker stroll through racing history at 10.20. And at 10.30, I ask, they answer. Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin will both be with me for that segment and really looking forward to catching up with them. Several really intriguing topics to get into with Dale and Tim later today. And one of those involves... Damon Thayer, I'm going to ask them the same question I just posed just a moment ago. How big of a loss is Damon stepping away? How big of a loss is that for the industry? I'll ask them that question. I'm also going to ask them about Fierceness, the Breeders' Cup juvenile winner, likely to make his three-year-old debut in the grade three Holy Bull Stakes at Gulfstream on February 3rd. That, unlike the Los Al Futurity, I went through the the litany of horses that have won the Los Al Futurity or run in that race and then gone on to win the Kentucky Derby, six of them, only three horses who have competed in the Holy Bull have gone on to win the Kentucky Derby the following season, and it hasn't happened since Barbaro in 2006. So good move for fierceness to kick things off in the Holy Bull, or should he wait for the Fountain of Youth? That is one question I will ask Dale and Tim in the final segment of today's show. Jonathan Thomas is indeed with me now. He's got a busy night ahead of him at Turfway Park getting ready to saddle likely favorite Wolfie's Dynaghost in the Prairie Bayou Stakes. 
Jonathan, happy to have you aboard, my friend. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. How about you? Yeah, we're doing okay. I'm trying to saw out here at Turfway, but, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, Wolfie's Dynaghost has been red hot over the past several starts and really throughout much of his career. He is so consistent. He's been a really cool addition to the barn. I mean, he's, you know, kind of a quintessential, uh, you know, racehorse where, you know, he just really shows up. He's a real pleasure to train. His owners have been a really fun group to get to know. So, uh, you know, it's been positive, you know, all around. Owned by Woods Lane Farm. Tell me more about them. Um, well, their owner, they, they do buy horses, but, you know, specifically they've been more owner breeders and, you know, this, this mayor Dinair has been as good a mayor as anywhere on the planet, really. I mean, he's a half the salary's joy. And, you know, so, so this mayor has been throwing some really, really good horses. Um, you know, they're just lovely people. They take very good care of their horses. They're patient, thoughtful, um, and he's, you know, everything you could want, want in an, an owner. So, uh, they've been a real pleasure to get to know. How about this horse? I mean, we mentioned earlier, I, I, just a few minutes ago, I said he's been red hot. When you look at his record here in 2023, he's won four of seven starts. And last time out, won the grade two autumn stakes at Woodbine on synthetic and drew off to win that one by four and a half. He really toyed with the competition that day. What are you seeing from him that, that leads you to believe he's sitting on top of his game? I mean, more of the same. He's come out of the race really well. And, uh, you know, it's a rare opportunity to run in the stake on the synthetic. As you know, it's, you know, kind of a rare thing to get, uh, you know, south of Canada. So, you know, we're, we're just going to try to take advantage of him doing well and the fact that there's a race in front of him. So, but, uh, you know, he, he he's training well, but he has all year. And, you know, we just hope for a, a good trip and a good pace scenario and take it from there. Yeah, he comes from that grade two and now into a, a list of stakes like this. Um, people will look at that and say, wow, he's going to outclass this field, if nothing else. Do you feel the same way? I mean, I, I think when you get to this level, a lot of times it's about timing. I mean, certainly it's a drop, but there's some good horses to respect. And, um, you know, we're not in a position to ever take anything for granted. So, you know, he's still going to have to show up. He's still going to have to probably run to the level he was uh, you know, in that grade too. But if he does, he's going to be very tough. Why was this the right spot for him? Just timing. And like I said, I mean, you know, if, if you're going to really try to dissect the, the synthetic state calendar, you're going to be in trouble. you got to take advantage while while they're up because, I mean, basically you've got this. And, the, you know, I don't think there's much in between until the the stake on Jeff Ruby day. So, you know, it's a strike while the iron's hot kind of situation. He's also a three-time winner on the grass, so I guess you had those options open, too. It didn't have to be synthetic, right? No, no, certainly not. I mean, I think he's had a long year, so this might be a good time to give him a, a brief freshening, um, you know, and kind of get him kick-started up for new, next year. He's a gelding, and we'd like to kind of replicate the year we had if we can next year. So um, we'll probably avoid Gulfstream unless we, we go down on Pegasus Day. But, uh, you know, outside of that, um, you know, we'll probably give him a well-deserved little little break. I'm glad to hear you say that because that was a topic that's come up on the show, you know, uh, throughout the years is should horses get a break at this time of the season? Should there be an off-season horse racing, if you will? And, and we handle that by giving horses, you know, individual horses time off as they need it. Um, are you a big proponent of that, Jonathan? 
Well, I, I am, and I'll give you a couple reasons. Um, one, when you look back on the way horses were handled 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago, it was a very common thing. And this is pre, you know, all, all our therapeutics and, and, and uh, you know, gadgets we have and all the science we have. <clears throat> and to think that we're better horsemen than there were around 60, 70, 80 years ago is foolish. I think, you know, we'd be hard-pressed to think we're nearly as good. And <clears throat> they found that that was the right recipe. Horses lasted longer, they ran more. I think it's common sense. I think if you can afford to do it, and most owners should be able to, um, it's absolutely the right thing to do. I mean, year-round racing is a great thing. It's great for gambling. It's great for keeping your barn rolling, but it's the wrong thing for a horse to have to do year-round. You run a lot of horses on synthetic, and you talked about waiting for a stakes race on synthetic and how difficult that can be. Um, synthetic tracks have their their fans, and they have people that are against them. So obviously you're you're okay with it. What do you see from horses after they run on synthetic as opposed to when they run on conventional dirt? I do feel like they bounce out of their race as well, um, maybe a little bit better. It takes a little, little less toll on them physically. And uh, so for all those reasons, I, you know, I, I think it adds some longevity. I do feel like training on it too is a little bit of an advantage. I mean, I'm a huge dirt fan. I think it's produced, you know, it sorts the, you know, the, the, the really good horses from the really average horses and, you know, has serious ramifications on our, on our breed, uh, you know, getting the best, best kind of racehorses out. But day in, day out, I think, you know, the synthetics provide a really nice option, especially for horses like a Wolfie's Dynagos, who's never going to go to stud and, you know, who, who's, you know, a, a racehorse. And, uh, you know, given, given them multiple options to run is, is, you know, I think it's good for everybody. I want to ask you to size up the competition in the Prairie Bayou today. And, and, you know, I know you obviously spend time studying the form and looking at the other horses that are in there. But before we do, Jose Ortiz was with me in the first hour of the program. And I, I said earlier in the show that if racing would card more races like the H. Allen Jerkins, which is being run at Gulfstream today, assuming it would stay on the grass, it will be at two miles on the turf. And I love those types of races. And he said, you know, yeah, racing might be better with that, but you don't have the horses that want to go two miles on, on the grass. He said it becomes a breathing issue and all these different things that enter into it. What do you think? Do you, do you agree with me, or do you think that maybe it's not a good idea to have these longer races on the grass? Oh, I think these stamina races are awesome. You yeah, know, they're I cool. think it's the difference between reading a comic book and a novel. You know, you have a lot of time to see uh, a race unfold, tactics come into play. I think that, you know, when you start to incorporate stamina, you start to um, really um, exude the class out of a horse. You know, I th you can see some really good sprint horses that are, you know, for lack of better words, cheap. I, I, I think the, the lack of stamina races in this country, and then you see it in England, losing traction. It's a byproduct of the commercial market. It's the wrong thing for racing. I think some of the classiest horses we've ever had are stamina horses that have stamina kick in i'd love to see way more of it but it's more a byproduct of of breeding in the commercial market and people not having patience i, we, I i'm a big big fan of it do we have horses in the game today to be able to fill those types of races if tracks were to write them i mean th probably not but the, the problem i mean listen if 
you can take a bunch of five furlong sprinters and run them two miles and something's going to win, you know? So certainly, you know, you, you can card those races. I think you need a series of them so you can keep a horse, uh, you know, in kind of a series at marathon distances. Um, if the purse money was up, um, I think it could gear people to breeding breeding horses more for stamina down the road. Um, but but right now, as it stands, I, I'd say that that you know it's almost an extinct branch of the thoroughbred family tree is the the stamina laden racehorse, which is I think is a real shame. Talking with trainer Jonathan Thomas here on the Horse Racing Radio Network, getting ready to saddle Morning Line favorite Wolfie's Dyna Ghost in tonight's Prairie Bayou Stakes at Turfway Park, mile and a 16th on the all-weather, post time 8.55 Eastern. It is the seventh race on the program. All right, Jonathan, size up the competition for me. The second choice on the morning line is Ocean Atlantique from the barn of Mike Maker. Who else do you have to worry about? Well, I know you're worried about all of them, but... Who are some of the main dangers that you're looking at in that race? Well, I'd be lying to you if I told you I sat down and have looked at this race uh, <laughs> yet uh, because it goes off at 8.55. I, I'm going to look at it later. Um, so I wouldn't have a good answer for you, but I'm, you know, I respect everybody. Um, pull up my time form. I'm a big fan of those and, and kind of have a look. I do know that I really love our draw because it puts us in the uh, – you know, a forward position, but also a chance to kind of, you know, sit and pounce if, if need be. Um, certainly that horse's makers and, you know, maker at Turfway is always dangerous. So, you know, we've got a lot of respect for him. And um, I, I believe he's running, you know, he's run some, some similar numbers. So, you know, he looks on paper, Ocean Atlantic, like it's going to be our main, main threat, but it's a horse race and we respect everybody. Yeah. And, Ken McPeak sends out Tis the Bomb, who is two for two at Turfway. Always seems to run his best races when he comes to Northern Kentucky. So he's another one that you have to contend with. But um, yeah, as you said, it is it's an interesting race on paper. Wolfie's Dining Ghost appears to be in the best form. Appears to be the horse that's going to get the most play from betters. Uh, but you got to show up and you got to run your race. They're not machines, right? No, for sure. I mean, that's that's a big part of it, and that's why, you know, getting into a good rhythm with an older horse is like that, you know, it's, you know, you can win some and, you know, lose some. But, uh, you know, the the one thing that's a little interesting here, I don't know why, but it seems like horses that are front-end dependent or kind of pace dependent haven't been quite as effective recently at Turfway. I'm not really sure why. So, you know, that's a marginal amount of concern. Uh, you know, if the track's kind of playing that way, but it's certainly not going to change the way we're going to approach the racing. Yeah, Wolfie's Dyna Ghost is all speed, or he has a lot of speed. Is he a need-the-lead type, in your opinion? I I think he's at his best when he gets an uncontested lead, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he's certainly one from right right off the pace, or just behind pace setters, so we're comfortable in that situation. But it seems like if he can get on the front end and kind of get left alone, um, that's when he does his best running. So, we're, you know, I, I wouldn't anticipate taking that away from him. We've done a great job with him, Jonathan. He's in top form, and, again, that is the reason he will be the likely favorite in tonight's race. All the best. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and to your family, and really appreciate you taking a little time this morning. Well, likewise. Same to you and your family, and we appreciate all that you do, and uh, thank you very much. Thanks, pal. Jonathan Thomas here on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Wolfie's Dyna goes 2-1 to one on the morning line under jockey Tyler Connor. Didn't get a chance to ask him about that move going to Tyler Connor, but uh, 
you know, he's a kid that's doing very well. Three wins from 38 starts. And if Wolfie's Donny Ghost breaks well and can get to that uncontested lead, all he's got to do is sit there and hold on and push the button at the right time. And this horse looks like he could be very, very tough to handle, assuming that um, he can find himself on the front end. All right, coming up next, I will welcome Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer to talk about his big announcement this week, choosing not to run for re-election when his term comes up at the end of the year. We'll talk about that next. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older, where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Jockey's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the front side. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is moving clear. And going to take the rear dirt sprint by a widening margin. Five miles all evading at 875 Tend to equine and pet care products have been keeping world-class equine athletes happy and healthy for generations. Keep your equine athlete looking and performing well with Tenda Next Generation Wound and Skin Care Treatment. Along with nutritional supplements, leg and muscle care products, salves, hoof care, poultice, topical aids, and grooming products. Visit TendaHorse.com today. Airdrie Stud is proud to announce the arrival of grade one winning millionaire Happy Saver for the 2023 season. Happy Saver boasts one of the most important female families of the century as his third dam is broodmare of the year weekend surprise, dam of the legendary AP Indy. Undefeated in his first five starts, Happy Saver capped off his perfect four for four season with an emphatic victory in the historic grade one Jockey Club Gold Cup. And Happy Saver stays undefeated. He steps up and he wins the grade one. Jockey Club Gold Cup. Airdrie Studs. Happy Saver. Think about it. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Polar Expedition digging in and hanging on as Powers Castle is the only one with a chance to catch him. Here's the finish. Polar Expedition by a long neck, wire to wire. Serena Song on the front end, strong on the lead. And with Corey Nakatani aboard, Serena Song by three and a half. Kahano runs second. Six, the Bud Longstreet third. Final time, 149 and three. That's track announcer Dave Johnson with the call of two memorable runnings of a race, which used to be known as the Jim Beam in the mid-90s. Polar Expedition and the Philly Serena Song beating the boys. That was in 1994 and 1995, respectively. That's where it began for now Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer as he started in the industry at Turfway Park. That is where I first had the opportunity to be introduced to Damon, and now he has spent more than 20 years serving the state in the Senate. He is the Kentucky Senate Majority Floor Leader, and he will not seek re-election when his term concludes in December of 2024. That news coming out this past week. Damon is with me now. Damon, good morning. Hey, good morning. Good morning. It's great to hear those race calls 
Uh, I was right there at the finish line for both Polar Expedition and Serena Song. Serena Song, one of the greatest fillies and mares that, that, that I ever saw. And, uh, well, you're bringing back some memories. You know, I, I actually got my start at the old Detroit race course in Michigan. Yeah. And then I worked at Thistledown for two years in Cleveland and then a year and a half at the Maryland Jockey Club tracks before I moved to Kentucky 31 years ago to work at Turfway and and then the Breeders' Cup. And uh, it's been a great run so far. And I know a lot of people in the industry are going to be sad to see that run come to an end next year. Damon, why was now the right time for this decision? That's a, that's a good question, Mike, and I, I'm, I'm going to try to answer it the best I can. First of all, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with me. People have said, are you sick? Is something wrong with your health? No, I'm, I'm in great shape. I'm working out more than at any point in my life. Secondly, I don't have a job lined up. I don't have a job interview lined up. I do have a consulting business where I do some racetrack uh, marketing and management and development work outside of Kentucky. Uh, and I've got a, some projects that I think are going to pop in the next year or two, and they're going to require more of my time. Also, uh, I'm the co-founder of Kentucky Senator Bourbon with my business partner, Andre Regard. And what started as sort of a, uh, a hobby at my dining room table is taken off as a legitimate business concern. And uh, I'm going to run the day-to-day operations of the company, and it's going to require more of my time as we we try to distill more bourbon and scale up uh, and grow the Kentucky Senator bourbon brand. And I have a fiduciary responsibility to our investors uh, to put more time into it. But the, at the end of the day, I just think that sometimes in life it's better to leave a little early rather than stay too long. And I, I just don't want to be that guy who sticks around you know, past my prime. I've seen guys do it. I've also seen some younger guys than me leave the state Senate uh, in in recent years after staying for less time than I've been there. And that's been a bit of an inspiration to me. And, you know, at the end of my term, it's going to be 22 years. And I, I just, I feel like it's, it's time to put it out there and see what the universe has in store for me. I, it's not something I want to do uh, for the rest of my life, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get out of politics. I would consider running for a higher office someday, but that's not <clears throat> that's not necessarily what I'm going to do. So I just I just feel like it's it's time to move on. And uh, I'm a little overwhelmed at the response. I you know I thought I put the press release out and people would take note of it and move on, but it's been really gratifying the positive response I've received. Uh, on 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 my career, and it's been really grateful, and I'm I'm thankful to everybody for their their kind comments. I'm even thankful to my haters uh, who have uh, been dancing on my grave at the news I'm not running reelect for reelection. <laughs> I think the positive response, and I know that comes from many people in the horse industry, Damon points to the fact that you have been the one to spearhead so many initiatives over the years that have been of great benefit to the thoroughbred industry in the state and then even setting some precedent for things nationwide with some of the steps that Kentucky has taken with the industry and and you've been the one to champion a lot of those different causes with you stepping away 
you're a Michigan State guy. I'll give you an analogy. You don't easily replace a guy like Magic Johnson, right? So who is going to be the person or persons to step in and take the lead for the industry in the Kentucky legislature now? Uh, there's there's plenty of, of, of people who understand the business uh, who are still in the legislature. Representative Matt Cook uh, is a is a horse farmer and a, uh, a sales consigner and a breeder from Bourbon County, and he chairs the Licensing and Occupations Committee where all racing-related legislation goes. The Speaker of the House, David Osborne, is a horse breeder and horse farmer from Oldham County. I've, these are the kind of guys I've worked with to pass pro-racing legislation. Uh, and in, in the Senate, there are uh, I've worked to develop some real strong advocates for horse racing and people who understand its effect on Kentucky's economy. Uh, our caucus chair, uh, Senator Julie Rocky Adams from Louisville, really understands horse racing impact. The Senate president, Robert Stivers, was a major force behind the historical horse racing bill. And a, a lot of my members, uh, like Amanda Mays Bledsoe from Lexington, who has Woodford County in her district, you know, she she really gets it. And uh, I've, I've, I've been thinking about the, the end of my term in the Senate for about five years. So I've, I've been working really hard to make sure there are members of both parties and in both chambers who understand the importance of horse racing. Really right now, and this is part of the reason for me deciding not to run again, horse racing and breeding is in a really great condition in Kentucky. We just have to stand by and protect what we've done. I mean, it, just in the last few years, we've passed the, the bill – putting in statute the legalization of historical horse racing. And then the next year, uh, with the help of my good friend and former state representative, Adam Koenig, we passed a bill establishing a flat tax across all forms of paramutual wagering in Kentucky. We went to penny breakage, so a big victory for betters. Uh, We added KTDF money to claiming races in Kentucky, something I've been working on for nearly 20 years. Uh, just this past session, we passed sports betting and required that the, the brick-and-mortar locations are only at the racetracks. So the racetracks have a key opportunity to cross-promote horse racing and our paramutual products with sports bettors. And we, we passed the bill eliminating these insidious gray games that, do, that were illegal to begin with and do nothing to promote horse racing. And even going back a few years, one of my proudest accomplishments was the creation of the Kentucky Breeders Incentive Fund, which is is the best breeders incentive program in the nation. And then the the mayor residency program that we created for uh, the standard bread business. You know, we we talk about, and and rightly so, the fact that that we've got the best year-round racing circuit in the country on the thoroughbred side. And we've really strengthened that, and, and we've, we've still got lots of blue sky ahead for thoroughbreds. But, but, Mike, we've brought the standard bread racing business back from the dead in Kentucky Yeah, to the point where it's thriving. And it means something to buy a Kentucky bread, standard bread, the, the sales uh, of, of those we, we call dual eligible horses uh, have gone through the roof. We've, we've got... Uh, a circuit now with Oak Grove and Red Mile and Cumberland Run and Corbin. So um, just really proud of what we have done. And 
I don't see any sort of big hills to climb for the racing industry in Frankfurt. We just need the industry to continue to come to Frankfurt and tell the positive story about how these new laws are positively affecting jobs and families and the Kentucky economy. Visiting with Kentucky Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer here on the Horse Racing Radio Network, setting up to move on from his role in the Senate next year. That'll be December of 2024 when his term concludes. He will not seek re-election. He just talked about that with us here this morning. Damon, you, you say there are no big hills to climb, but there are always issues that face horse racing, and there are all these legislative initiatives that have to be accomplished. So looking into the future, after you step away and you move on to your other endeavors, what are some of the things, the most pressing things you see that could be on the horizon for the industry? Well, on a state basis, you know, and there was controversy this week about a story coming out of California that Ray Pollock broke about how some people think we should let some of the Kentucky money go to California for Kentucky breads in California, which is not going to happen. But it, it created a dialogue on social media about other states. And right now, there are states that I believe are very strong. There are also states that are under duress. And I would encourage a lot of those states to look to the Kentucky model uh, and I'm not saying everything we're doing is going to work in other states, but I think there are things we've done here that other states could look at to try to emulate, to strengthen their racing. Um, I, you know, I think Kentucky is strong. I think New York is strong and going to continue to be stronger. I think there's lots of blue sky ahead for Virginia. And, and Indiana has a great program. Even places like Ohio and West Virginia and Iowa uh, have – uh, and Louisiana as well, have some really strong elements that keep racing and breeding alive there. But there are places where racing is under duress, and California is one of them. Uh, Arizona is another, although if Turf Paradise gets a, a secure future, that's going to change. Florida and Maryland, uh, very concerning to me and others uh, about the infrastructure there uh, and, and, and the future of racing and breeding. So I would I would I would encourage people to look to to Kentucky and and I'm only a phone call away and willing to help out on the national level uh very very concerning we have you know I was there for the courtship marriage and divorce of the NTRA and Breeders Cup yeah and since that split we have no national voice we have no national marketing we have no national PR effort no crisis communications effort and and we've needed that a lot in the last uh, last year or so. I commend Mike Rapoli and Pat Cummings for their efforts with the National Thoroughbred Alliance. Um, you know, we've got to try to do some things differently. We've, we've got to be more attentive to our fans and the better the betters and the handicappers. We've got to do some things on, on fan development. Um, we've got to do a better job on marketing and PR and crisis communication. I'm as everybody knows, I'm not a big fan of HISA. Uh, I'm a fan of uh, of having consistent rules across jurisdictions, but I think the implementation of HISA has been a disaster. Uh, I'm very concerned about due process and constitutional rights under HISA. They have yet to catch one big cheater, but yet 
they continue to ruin careers uh, of people in the business. And um, I think you could make an argument that the sport is, is not safer after a year and a half or so of the implementation of HISA. I think there's still a very good chance it may be struck down by the Supreme Court. Uh, there is a repeal and replace effort in Congress from Congressman Clay Higgins from Louisiana. I think we have to have a very serious discussion in this industry without people getting personally sensitive uh, about, uh, about their uh, particular piece of the pie. And, you know, I have a lot of good friends who work at HISA, not the least of whom Mark Guilfoyle, one of my closest friends. Uh, and I'm glad he's there, and I know he's working very hard to make things better. But we're going to have to have a discussion as an industry about whether this is working or not and what it needs to look like going forward. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Damon, there's you mentioned PR, and that's something that I have been preaching for years. And I think that our industry does a horrific job, really we don't do the job at all, of defending ourselves and promoting all of the – 98% positive stories that are out there. It's always the negative stories that tend to make national headlines. And you mentioned Ray Pollock. He put out a report this week, which is now on the blood horse too, that FX and the New York Times are set to air a documentary at some point in 2024 called Broken Horses. And that nothing good can come of that for the industry. But there is no PR firm uh, in our sport to say, wait a minute here, okay, you want to show that? Let me show you the other 500 great things that are happening in the sport just this week alone. And I think that that is much, much needed, desperately. I agree with you 100%, Mike. It's pathetic that we can't get our act together. We have, we have, an, we have the NTRA office in place that has done this before and could do it again if the racetracks and the horsemen and the breeders and the fans could all get together and in a, in a unified way, get behind this, we're going to continue to let other people control our narrative unless we're willing as an industry to take control of it and do it ourselves. Lisa Lazarus is a very smart woman. I don't envy the job she's doing, but she's a regulator. It's not her job to be the spokesperson for the horse racing industry. Somebody needs to empower somebody to be the spokesperson so we can control our own narrative. PR 101 that I, that I learned at Michigan State a long time ago. If you don't control your own narrative, someone else will. And right yeah. now, someone else is controlling our own, our own narrative, and that Agreed. is not good. Maybe something can, can come out of what uh, Mike Rapoli and Pat Cummings are doing with the National Thoroughbred Alliance, but I'm going to be appealing to the major players in our industry that we need to get together again and put aside some of our uh, selfish concerns and for the greater good, try to recreate what we did 20-some years ago uh, with the NTRA. Uh, we've got to do a better job uh, on the PR side of things, and that's just one piece of the puzzle. We could probably devote a whole morning of your show to it, Mike. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Do you see a scenario, Damon, when you when you do step away from the Senate and you do get a little more time on your hands? I know you'll be working with your bourbon business, as you indicated earlier, but do you see a scenario where maybe you get involved with a Mike Rapoli and try to head up that side of things, and the, the PR side of things, and help create that for our industry? 
Yeah, that that's a great question. And a- absolutely. Again, I don't have any job offers or interviews lined up. I, 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 I'm taking this as a leap of faith, uh, leaving and hoping that some things come my way. The answer to your question is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. I would love to be involved in any initiative uh, to help help this sport uh, improve its image, uh, improve its business conditions, uh, in, improve uh, conditions for, for owners and trainers, jockeys, fans, bettors, uh, all of these things. I'm absolutely interested, and thank you for asking. One thing that gets overlooked when people come out with these announcements, especially somebody as high profile as yourself, is the fact that you're now going to, at the core, have more time to spend with your family. And I know that you're getting ready for your daughter's college graduation later today. That's going to be spectacular. And I want to congratulate you and congratulate her on that accomplishment. Fantastic. Thanks, Mike. I'm, I'm actually in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. My daughter graduates from Middle Tennessee State University today with a degree in aviation and professional pilot. I'm very proud of her. She's 22 years old. And uh, yesterday, for the first time in my life, I went up in an airplane with my daughter. Uh, my sister and I rode around Nashville, took a took a flight around Nashville with her. And uh, it's a very, very proud moment for uh, for a dad. Watch, her, watch my daughter graduate from college. And uh, she's doing what only 1% of people in America do. And uh, that's the ability to to fly an airplane and I'm uh, I'm really excited about about her future and my son works in Washington DC for Senator Rand Paul and uh, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to be able to spend even more time with my adult kids yep enjoy every minute of it Damon I I can't thank you enough for always taking time to join me here on the show I'm, I'm positive we will talk again down the road but in the meantime very Merry Christmas to you and to the family enjoy every second with them Thanks, Mike. Merry Christmas to you. Happy holidays to you, your your family, and all your listeners. And um, it's always been a pleasure to be on your show, and I look forward to more opportunities to do that in the future. You got it, buddy. Have a great weekend. That is Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer um, talking about his decision to now step away from that role and focus on other things in his life. And, you know, who knows? I don't think we've heard – well, I, I can guarantee you we haven't heard the last of Damon Thayer in the thoroughbred industry because at the core that is his true love and his true passion and that is where he wants to be and uh, all the best to Damon moving forward when I come back we'll turn our attention westward to Los Alamitos and I will focus on the Los Alamitos futurity as I welcome trainer Phil D'Amato to talk about his talented two-year-old stronghold that's next on the equine forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN horse racing's voice Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Experience the excitement of Ontario racing with over $17 million in purses and programs. The Ontario Thoroughbred Improvement Program is loaded with TIP stakes, sales credits, purse bonuses, mare and foal incentives, and awards for both stallions and breeders. Visit TIP.OntarioRacing.com to learn more. That's TIP.OntarioRacing.com. 
It's time now to shine the spotlight on the Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. But it's golden 60 for Hong Kong. Four on voyage bubble. That's not a whip. That's a wand. That ride from Vincent is magic. Golden 60. The superstar. Golden 60, the son of Darley Stallion Medallia Doro, crushed the competition with that dominant win in the Hong Kong Mile and now holds the world record for career earnings of over $21 million. An incredible accomplishment, which makes Golden 60 your Darley Taking the Reins Performer of the Week. Darley Stallion Medallia Doro. The sire of 26 career grade one winners and the leading active North American sire by worldwide stakes winners. Medallia Doro's 2024 fee is $75,000. Learn more about Medallia Doro and all the Darley Stallions by visiting DarleyAmerica.com. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. They hit the quarter pole, track Phantom trying to see it out. Right alongside is Stronghold, these two head-to-head. Resilience third outside as they race for the eighth pole. Stronghold is up for an arrow lead. Track Phantom tries to fight back, but is a half length behind now. Resilience and Mospresso, final 16th, and it's Stronghold with a two-length lead. And it will be Stronghold first. Resilient second, Track Phantom, and Most Presso. Welcome back to the Equine Forum, presented by Twin Spires. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, with you right up until 11 a.m. Eastern. You've heard some wonderful conversations this morning, including Kentucky Senator Damon Thayer in the previous segment. You heard from jockey Jose Ortiz and that excerpt from my visit with Jeff DeLome, and you heard from trainer Jonathan Thomas. If you missed any portion of the show, check out the podcast after we finish up at 11 a.m. Eastern on our website at horseracingradio.net, and you can listen as well on every podcast platform whenever you have some time. Well, you just heard the call from Pete Aiello of Stronghold breaking his maiden at, uh, or Travis Stone, excuse me, breaking his maiden at Churchill Downs back on October 1st. It was a really strong effort. He came back and justified his form in the grade three Bob Hope last time out at Del Mar with a second place finish that day. And this afternoon, he will take on five other rivals in the Los Alamitos Futurity for trainer Phil D'Amato, who is with me now. Phil, appreciate the visit, my friend. You got it, Mike. Anytime. That effort in the Bob Hope after his maiden win was excellent. Um, I know he was beaten eight and three-quarter lengths, but he ran a good race. Only four horses in the field. What'd you make of that that effort? Yeah, it was a solid effort. I, I think yeah. we've probably I you know ran against uh, another uh, you know future uh, superstar of Bob's. But um, our plan was all along to run him in this this uh, futurity today to get him around two turns and to use that uh, Bob Hope as a prep to get us uh, to where we are today. What do you see from him that leads you to believe he can be a top three-year-old into next year? You know, I like the way he rates uh, behind horses in the morning and, and uh, does it, you know, very willingly on, uh, with uh, just kind of the, the right attitude and then comes and gets them. I, I think it's that's the kind of style you're going to need to, uh, you know, to, to stretch out and to go further. And at least in the mornings, he acts like he can do that. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged by that, and this will be another, hopefully, stepping stone to, to get him going in the, in that direction uh, today. How do you describe him physically, Phil? I'd say he's medium build. He's he's probably like a 
16 hands, you know, or so. And, um, I, but, uh, medium physique, uh, you know, does everything kind of the, the, the right way. And, uh, just uh, all around, you know, pretty nice horse. I mentioned that Jose Ortiz was with me earlier in the show, and he got talking about a couple of the top juveniles that he's riding right now with Sierra Leone and Locked. And he was talking about the next couple of months being so critical in terms of their development physically and mentally, and that's something we hear an awful lot at this time of year. How critical is this, the, the next stretch of, of a couple of months before we, before we get into the major derby preps for these young horses? Oh yeah, no, no, no doubt. This is uh, this is kind of where you 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 know you, you know where you're what direction you're going towards. Um, hopefully, we're we're um, taking the next step in, around the two turn, you know, uh, realm here, and then from there, maybe we'll give him a little bit of breather and and ready him if he shows he can go two turns, you know, for the for the uh, preps leading into the Derby. You're no stranger to facing off with these Bob Baffert runners out there, but you you hold your own pretty well too. Um, every time you look up, there's two, three Bafferts in a race, and here's only six horses. You got to square off with three other Bafferts. Size up the competition for me a little bit. You know, I mean, he he's got a you know a bunch of talent there. Um, that uh, horse, uh, you know, that uh, broke his maiden at Del Mar was pretty impressive. That uh, Coach that, Prime. Uh, Pratt. Yes, that Pratt's riding. Yeah, you know he's had another one that's shown pretty good talent. Uh, um, that Juan Hernandez is on as well, and then one that kind of broke his maiden uh, gate to wire. So I mean, he's you know he's kind of Bob's got you know typical Bob ammo you know going into to this futurity. The thing I like about my horse is I think he's tactical. I don't think he needs to be on the lead or you know um, dead last. He can. He can be placed where he wants to, and Antonio uh, has been breezing him and, and ridden him last time. So I think you know we've got that going for us, and and I sent him to Los Al early to give him a breeze over the strip. So um, all those things hopefully combined will will help us uh, give us a, a you know fighting chance today. Stronghold is owned by Rick and Sharon Waller. Tell me a little bit more about them and that relationship you have. Oh, they're great. I've probably been training for them seven or eight years. I trained uh, um, Stronghold's mom, Spectator, for them. She was a, a nice filly, uh, won a great stake for us in grade one place. Really nice uh, a filly. And then I've trained some other nice ones for them. But they, they're local people, uh, live in California, and, uh, you know, breed uh, a few on their own, buy, buy a few, you know, always have a a few uh, to run, but uh, great people to, to train for and, and uh, always do right for the horse. Phil, we're only nine days away from the traditional day after Christmas opening day at Santa Anita. Actually, I guess about 10 days away now. It'll be December 26th. Um, talk about the the ammo you're bringing to that meet with the top horses you're going to have in your stable. Yeah, I mean we're gonna we're gonna have some nice horses. We ran a lot at, at Del Mar, so I mean we're, we're definitely, um, you know, we're, we're definitely gonna be loaded. But um, you know, it, it's one of those things where uh, you're gonna have to just kind of see where the chips fall. I, I'm gonna I sent a lot of horses out after the Breeders' Cup, um, Matorius and 
and uh, the, the likes of those kind of horses. So those horses had a 30-month break, and or 30-day break, I should say, and, and came back, and uh, now we're just getting going on them. So it's going to just kind of be a mix of some new horses and getting some older horses ready for later on in the meet. Um, so I'll, it should be kind of nice, you know, steady flow, um, you know, starting off uh, the day after Christmas. I'm going to assume Stronghold isn't the only talented two-year-old in your barn. Are there other uh, on the male side or even the female side that you're really high on? I've I've got a lot of two-year-old fillies uh, turning three to, to debut and uh, a couple ones that I have run that I think um, will develop. So I'm really heavily loaded on fillies. Um, Colts, uh, I've got a few. I've got a horse named uh, Marty's Fish, who seems like he's pretty nice. I, I'm probably going to debut him on opening day, um, but um, more heavily loaded with uh, with fillies. Well, Phil D'Amato has had an awful lot of success throughout his career, and he's looking for more, not just today, but looking ahead to Santa Anita as well. well. Phil, I told you I wouldn't keep you long. It's early out there on the West Coast. I appreciate you taking the time. Good luck this afternoon, and let's keep it rolling, my friend. Uh, Happy holidays to you and to your family. Same to you. All right, buddy. Phil D'Amato, 907 wins to his credit, 106 coming this year. He's had a, a tremendous year here in 2023, and we'll see how this unfolds for him later this afternoon. When I come back, I'll take a look at a historical date in racing history or two, and I'll get you ready for Hour 3. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Woodford Feed, where tradition merges with technology. Family-owned since 1940 and providing exceptional customer service, Woodford Feed specializes in the highest quality feed, using only the finest ingredients to ensure optimal nutrition for your horses. In addition, Woodford Feed can help with all your farm needs, including field seed, fertilizer, and weed control. So whether your horse is sprinting around the racetrack or has a foal by her side, count on Woodford Feed to provide the quality nutrition necessary to perform at the highest level. Woodford Feed for Sales Kentucky. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting. A teenager learning the lingo. Today I'm going to help parents translate teen slang. Now, when a teen says something is on fleek, it's exactly like saying that's rad. It simply means that something is awesome or cool. Another one is totes. It's exactly like saying totally, just shorter. As in, I totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. 
thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Want to get the latest HRN content directly on your computer or mobile device? Then subscribe to our podcast using the Podbean app or Apple Podcasts. Just go to hrrn.podbean.com on your computer and click follow or download the Podbean app and search HRN. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and listen to our latest episodes anytime. Don't miss a thing. Subscribe to our podcasts today. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Welcome back. Getting ready for hour number three. I'll tell you what's ahead there in just a few moments. Got a chance to hear from Phil D'Amato in the previous segment, Damon Thayer. Before that, Jonathan Thomas to kick off hour number two. And you heard from Jose Ortiz and Jeff DeLome in the first hour of the program. Don't forget, if you missed any portion of the show, Head over to the website, horseracingradio.net, to listen to the podcast whenever you get some time, and you can do that on every podcast platform as well. Well, time now to take a look at some historical dates in racing history as they apply to this weekend here in racing, and we'll kick it off with yesterday. Nothing in particular on today, December 16th, but yesterday, December 15th, 1973, the day that Sandy Hawley, became the first jockey in history to win 500 races in a single year when he rode Charlie Jr. to victory in the third race at Laurel. Tomorrow, December 17, 1936, crooner Bing Crosby announced plans to construct a new racetrack to be called the Del Mar Turf Club. That's tomorrow, the anniversary of that in 1936. And one more for tomorrow, December 17, 1993, was the day that fire destroyed the grandstand of fairgrounds, the nation's third oldest racetrack that was not a good day for thoroughbred racing. Those are historical dates in racing history as they apply to this particular weekend. Uh, I've been asking you to weigh in on the poll question here this morning, and so many of you have taken time to do that. But I asked you, which trainer is your 2023 MVP? And I gave you a few different choices. Todd Pletcher, Brad Cox, Chad Brown, three guys who are at the top of the list in terms of stakes victories and greatest stakes victories here in 2023. 27% of you are saying it is Brad Cox, but I also asked you for comments if you think it is somebody other than those than those three. Uh, Bill Mock getting some love in here. He continues to attract a lot of attention after the big year he had here in 2023. That's what Mary says here on social media. Bruce says Bob Baffert. Laura, another vote for Bill Mott, and uh, Nina on social media saying Jenna Antonucci, and I think she's a wonderful choice. And I I don't know if that is going to be the first name that comes to mind, but I think maybe it should be, considering the big year that she had. You win the Belmont, you win the Travers, and you make history the way that she did. Just incredible. And Jenna Antonucci has been a very good horsewoman for a long time this is nothing new and now she was able to showcase her talents with a big horse like Archangelo and that's a cool cool story so wouldn't shock me 
if we get more votes for Jenna Antonucci in this poll question too. But which trainer is your 2023 MVP? You can continue to keep those comments coming at HRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook, and email the show, Mike at horseracingradio.net, and I'll try to update them later in the program. Well, two hours down, one to go. Coming up next, we'll kick off Hour 3 with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Ashley Anderson will be here to give you three races you can keep an eye on later today. Kurt Becker will take you on his weekly stroll through racing history. A really cool story about the late Spitestown, who we lost recently. Stay tuned for that. And I ask they answer with Dale and Tim at 1030 Eastern, tackling some of the hottest topics in the sport. If your local station is leaving us at this time, continue listening to the third hour of the program nationwide on Sirius XM. In the Louisville, Kentucky market on ESPN 680 and streaming worldwide on our website, horseracingradio.net. Hour three of the Equine Forum coming up next right after I pause 10 seconds for station identification. This is the Horse Racing Radio Network. is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Followed down the outside of the track next by Rain Road, who's finishing well, but Best Pal breaks away. With a 16th to go, Best Pal has the better of general meeting. Rain Road running a mighty race, but Best Pal clear, and Best Pal wins the maturity. At the 8th pole in the Futurity and Practical Move on the inside takes the lead. It's Practical Move booting away from Carmel Road followed by Fort Bragg. Practical Move in front and Practical Move takes the Los Alamitos Futurity. Welcome to the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires. He's four now down to two. Cherokee runs Prairie Bayou. But Prairie Bayou with big strides in the middle of the track leads the way by a half length. Cherokee Run is there but Prairie Bayou is going to win it at the 16th pole, Cherokee Run with another try at him. Prairie Bayou kept urging and wins the Preakness by a neck. There's three sixteenths of a mile to the finish. It's Onion on the outside. Secretariat on the rail, stride for stride, head and head. Onion on the outside, Secretariat on the rail. An eighth of a mile to the finish. The leaders head and head, stride for stride. Secretariat and Onion. Onion has the lead by a head. Secretariat on the inside, past the 16th ball. It's Onion in front by a head. Now, here's Mike Penna. Welcome back, hour number three of the Equine Forum. Mike Penna, Baron of the Backstretch, happy to have you along for the ride this morning, getting ready for a loaded final hour of the show. If you missed any portion of the first two hours, head back to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the podcast there, and you can do that on every podcast platform as well. And don't forget to follow us on social media, at HRRN on Twitter, Horse Racing Radio Network on Facebook and YouTube and Instagram. And while you're on our website at horseracingradio.net, don't forget to subscribe to our email newsletters we send out to you twice a week, every Tuesday and every Friday, to keep you in the loop as to what's coming up here on the show and the different guests that you'll get to enjoy, not just this week, but each and every week throughout the year. Well, coming up here in Hour 3, we begin with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Ashley Anderson will do the honors momentarily. Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history at 10.20. And at 10.30, Dale, Tim, they'll both be with me for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer, and plenty of things to talk about with Dale and Tim on this Saturday morning. Without further ado, let's welcome Ashley Anderson for this week's Twin Spires Triple Play. 
Ashley, good morning. A bit of a quieter weekend on the racing front, but that doesn't stop us from making selections and making bets at Twin Spire. So I'm excited to hear what you've come up with this morning. Yeah, I mixed it up a little bit. We don't have a ton of stakes action, but still plenty of racing. And I've picked three different tracks for you. And we have a whole lot of promos, too, that you can play at Twin Spires this weekend as well. So hopefully I can lead you to some winners. Yeah, we'll talk about those promos and we'll talk about these three races. We're going to start with the third at Oaklawn and then we'll move on to the fourth race at the fairgrounds and wrap it up with race seven at Turfway, which is the Prairie Bayou Stakes, one of just a few stakes races, as Ashley said, on the uh, on the racing slate uh, coming up this afternoon. Well, let's kick it off with the third at Oaklawn. Um, Ashley, this is a, a contentious race, if you will. Um, it is a allowance race, six furlongs, and um, a, a lot of ways you can go in this field. Who'd you settle on here? So I found an interesting filly here in number five, back to Ohio at seven to two. And the reason this filly stuck out to me, she's a three-year-old by midshipman, and she was purchased for $350,000 as a two-year-old in training. She's mostly been racing in Ohio, and she's won two straight, and she's eight for nine for her career her only loss was a second when she stretched out to one and one sixteenth of a mile and tried turf. And then last out, she won a state restricted stakes at Mahoning Valley, had a 93 brisk nut speed figure. I'm always about those brisk nut speed figures. And she's four for four at today's distance. Her trainer, Larry Valley, is also a 33% winner with horses that won their last race and a 31% winner at the allowance level from a pretty large sample size. So that bodes well for this horse. And I think the morning line favorite is vulnerable here. Lilo, she has failed to win her last six starts and actually ranks second in prime power, about three points shy of back to Ohio. So I'm going with a seven to two choice on the morning line. You know, don't you find sometimes Ashley, when you have a horse like back to Ohio, that is Ohio bred has been racing in a lot of um, state bred races uh, th- throughout, throughout the, uh, the Buckeye state, that when they come to a bigger track like Oakland, they kind of get overlooked because of that and maybe even disrespected. But when you look at back to Ohio's form, broke her maiden against open company uh, in June of last year and then comes back in October of last year and wins the Presque Isle Downs debutante against open company too. So there is there is precedent here for back to Ohio to run good in this spot. Yeah, absolutely. I like the fact that she was able to win over at Presque Isle, and so I think she can ship to Ohio, or I'm sorry, Oakland, and do really well here as well. Yep. Yeah. All right. Back to Ohio, number five, the top pick of Ashley Anderson here in race number three at Oakland, seven to two on the morning line. Do you think we get seven to two? <laughs> Probably not. I think that price might come down, but I'm hoping, you know, Lilo takes the money and we can still get a decent price on back to Ohio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, should set a good trip, too. We'll see how this one plays out this afternoon. Post time, by the way, for that fifth, uh, third race at Oakland is uh, 2.26 Eastern, 1.26 Central time locally um, in Arkansas. All right, at the fairgrounds, we're going to turn our attention to race number four. Um, this is a maiden special weight event. It is for state breads, Louisiana breads, uh, six furlongs on the main track. How would you see this one, Ashley? So I went with the fairgrounds. We have a couple of promos going on this weekend, and one of them is that you can get 10 times the reward points if you wager at fairgrounds or Turfway Park. So be sure to opt in before you head over to fairgrounds to wager on this race. And I went with number four, Contraband, early at 6-1. to one. This is a first-time starter for Shane Wilson, who's winning at a 17% rate this meet. And Contraband early caught my eye because it's a three-year-old gelding by Star Guitar, who just had a huge weekend on Louisiana Champions Day 
with three stakes winners, Betty Sired, and a maiden winner who won on debut. So I'm looking to contraband early to hopefully win on debut as well. He's out of a street sense mare who has four winners from four starters. And Wilson's a 21% winner at the maiden special weight level and a 17% winner with first-time starters. So I'm going to go with contraband early. Also has a high-percentage jockey in James Graham, who's winning at a 23% rate this meet. So I think he's got a chance here in on his debut. So many people, Ashley, will ask me um, if they're not – avid horse players they come to the races just a few times a year and they'll look at a race like this where you have horses like your top pick contraband early who has never started before and all you can go by is their workouts and the trainer percentages what are some of the key things when you're looking at a first time starter what are some of the key things that you need to see in order for you to pull the trigger and jump in so I always look at their sire and the winners from their dam so seeing the four winners from four starters from that damn unamused by street sense definitely stands out to me for contraband early. I also will look at their average winning distance of their sire or their damn sire. And for contraband early, it's a 6.7. So right around where we need it to be. And then I'll look at the jockey and the trainer win percentages for first time starters or made in special weights. And, you know, if it's a higher percentage, then I think they have a pretty good shot to come out. I think, you know, Talking about fairgrounds, Brad Cox also does very well with first-time starters. So I always look at those percentages with trainers and jockeys as well. All right, I'm going to ask you another kind of inside baseball question here to get inside your handicapping mind a little bit, Ashley. The favorite, number five, City of Love, 3-1 to one on the morning line. Whether or not he goes off as the favorite remains to be seen, but he is the favorite on the morning line. He goes from an open company maiden claiming event a fifty thousand dollar maiden claimer and now goes to a state bred maiden special weight is that a raise in class or is it a drop in class <laughs> well you know it's interesting because now he's got this restricted company and i feel like seeing that he hasn't been able to even hit the board in this last three start you know i'm i'm not really interested in this horse and dallas dallas stewart talking about trainer percentages not very good third off the layoff or going from made and claiming to made in special weight company. So yeah, I don't really like city of love in this spot here. I'm going to ask you about one other horse in here because this is another horse that figures to take some play. That is number seven, Sassy D who is seven to two on the morning line has been close on a couple of occasions throughout his brief career, but unable to hold on at the end has a lot of early speed. What do you make of Sassy D? So I kind of shied away from this horse looking at those Brisnet speed figures, had a 66 in her, his last two. And then looking at the the jockey win percentage, just a 6% win percentage this meet out of 50 mounts, only has won three times. So looking at that, Sassy D is getting a rider switch to a jockey that's lower win percentage. So that caused me to shy away from this horse. I have to tell you, this is going to be my top pick based solely on pedigree. The sire of Sassy D is a horse named Sasakaya. And being the wine snob that I am, Sasakaya <laughs> was the number one wine in the world in 2015. It's an Italian wine. It is incredible. I got to sample it on one occasion when my wife and I made the trip to Italy. So from that standpoint, I'm going to side with Sassy D. But I, I hope that your top pick, number four, Contraband Early, gets to the wire first for our listeners and sassy d will end up running second to complete the exacta how's that <laughs> i like it i i didn't even realize that was a type of wine so <laughs> yeah now i want to yeah. try it <laughs> a really good wine <laughs> yeah it's fantastic <laughs> 
Um, all right, so it is number four contraband early for Ashley Anderson in race four at Fairgrounds. Let's move on to the seventh at Turfway. That has a post time of 8.55 Eastern, so the final leg of the Twin Spires triple play. It is the Prairie Bayou Stakes, race seven, mile and a 16th on the synthetic at Turfway. How'd you see that one, Ashley? So this is a very interesting field, and Wolfie's Dynagos at 2-1, to one, a very, very strong horse, just won a grade two. But I'm going with a long shot here, and at first glance, you might be thinking, why am I backing Piz the Bomb? But I've got my reasons, and I also want to throw out we have a $10 money-back offer, so this is a great chance to back a long shot at Turfway because you get up to $10 back if your horse comes in second in all eligible races at Turfway. So I'm going to take a shot here with number four, Tis the Bomb. Now, I know this horse is 0 for 9 in his last nine starts, but he's been racing on turf, and he's going back to Turfway, racing on all weather, and he's 2 for 2 at Turfway, won the John Battaglia Memorial Stakes and Jeff Ruby Stakes back in 2022 before racing in the Kentucky Derby. He was a distant ninth on dirt and then switched to turf, and from that point on has not won since. I have been curious what the plan is with connections with Tiz the Bomb after he failed to even finish in the money in his last nine starts. And I have a colleague who he relentlessly backs Tiz the Bomb every time he races, and I normally don't see it. I don't understand why he's always backing this horse. I texted my colleague, and I asked, are you going to back him this time? And he said, no, Wolfie's Dynaghost is too good. And I took that as a sign it's time to back Tiz the Bomb because my colleague always <laughs> gets it wrong. <laughs> And I actually see good reason to back him here. Like I said, he's two for two at Turfway. Kenny McPeak is removing the blinkers, a winning move 35% of the time. Tis the Bomb is eligible to improve third start off the layoff. He's got a sharp workout December 8th at Keeneland. He's switching. He's getting a rider switch to Joe Talamo. And his career best brisnet speed figure is a 101, which came at this track the last time he raced at Turfway. And to top it all off, he's a P-type on brisnet pass performances or a presser type. They're winning at a high rate in eight and a half furlong races. And Wolfie's Dynagos is an early pace setter type, has a lot of speed to compete with. So I'm going to go with Tiz the Bomb to close late and finally get that win in, in his last uh, of his last 10 starts. It's Actually, been a while. The, I think you can do it. You were the first person to come on this segment or any segment and make a selection based on the colleague off angle. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I feel like there's something to it. <laughs> yeah, that's usually the way it works, too. And by the way, Tiz the Bomb is a horse that I thought very highly of early in his career when he was making his way through the derby preps, and you mentioned those victories that he had. Uh, I thought when they moved this horse to the turf that he was going to turn out to be one of the best turf horses in the country, and it hasn't materialized. You mentioned his 0-for-9 campaign here in 2023, failing to hit the board in any of those nine starts. What do you think... What wrong with Tiz the Bomb? I really don't know because when he when he first started racing on turf, he was winning those races. And I don't really know why all of a sudden switching back to turf has been so difficult for him. I mean, he has kind of moved all over the place, Saratoga, Fairgrounds, Keeneland, Churchill, Ellis. So I think maybe he just needs to go back to turfway and get a win to get that confidence back. Yeah, and you mentioned the favorite Wolfie's Dinah Ghost has tons of early speed, figures to be out front, uh, is a graded stakes winner, is one for one at Turfway. So a lot of reasons to like Wolfie's Dinah Ghost, other than the fact he's two to one on the morning line, so you're not going to get much much value with Wolfie's Dinah Ghost. Absolutely not. And he is getting a rider switch as well to Tyler Connor. So that 
creates a new variable here. And like I said, he's an early pace setter. We've got some other speed horses here. So that might potentially cause a, a breakdown in the pace and open it up for a closer. All right. So to recap, Ashley's three selections for this week's Twin Spires Triple Play begins with race three at Oakland. Number five, back to Ohio at odds of seven to two is the top pick. Race number four at the fairgrounds, she'll go with number four, Contraband Early at six to one. And race seven at Turfway, the Prairie Bayou Stakes, she will take number four, Tis the Bomb, at a big price. Bombs away if uh, Tis the Bomb can get to the winner's <laughs> circle here. 12 to one, maybe even drifts up a little bit higher considering that recent form. 12 to one on Tis the Bomb. Ashley, anything else happening at Twin Spires? I know you mentioned a couple of promos, but anything else we need to let listeners know about this weekend? Let's see. I talked about Oakland earlier. We also have a $2,500 late pick five jackpot every Saturday and Sunday. I gave you race three. It's not part of the late pick five, but definitely check out Oakland's late pick five as well. And then we have a $3,000 Los Alamitos leaderboard where you can play for your share of a $3,000 jackpot on Friday, December 15th through Sunday, December 17th. So I know you're getting in a day late, but if you get some long shots in there, you can climb the leaderboard. And we have a Gulfstream Park daily double down. You get a 25% bonus on all winning Gulfstream Park daily double wagers every Saturday in December. So a lot going on at Twin Spires. All right, Ashley. Listen, appreciate the visit. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and to your family. Let's hope that we can get our listeners a little more bankroll for those Christmas gifts uh, as we move closer to uh, (laughs) December 25th here. Yeah, absolutely. And Merry Christmas to you, too. All right. All the best. Ashley Anderson, we'll talk to you in a few weeks here on the Horse Racing Radio Network with the Twin Spires Triple Play. Bet those races any way you like. Just make sure you're betting them at Twin Spires. When I come back, Kurt Becker takes you on his weekly stroll through racing history. And then at 1030, I once again welcome Dale Romans and Tim Wilkin for this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. That is all ahead in a busy hour three of the Equine Forum presented by Twin Spires on HRRN. Race to Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. The best son of leading sire Munnings, Jack Christopher, showed he was an exceptional talent early, winning the Grade 1 Champagne Stakes with a 102 buyer. At 3, Jack Christopher racked up wins in the Grade 2 Pat Day Mile. The Grade 1 Woody Stevens, winning by 10 lengths, and proved much the best in the Grade 1 H. Allen Jerkins. With his pedigree and outstanding physique, Jack Christopher represents fantastic value with his foals arriving in 2024. Call the team at Ashford today to book your mare. There's a corner of Kentucky in Bourbon County, which some refer to as the promised land. There's something in the soil and water that make it something special. So special that some of the world's greatest horsemen have staked their claim in the soil just outside of Paris. Iconic names such as Claiborne, Coolmore, Stone, and Darley grace the fence lines which have housed champions for generations. The name Alapa shines as a tribute to the Gilded Age, sharing the stature and grandeur of its neighbors. Born from the wealth, passion, and imagination of Edward Sims, no expense was spared to fulfill his vision. 
Sam's was in the same league as John Madden and Arthur B. Hancock Sr. as a commercial breeder. The torch has been passed. Welcome to Hill and Dale at Alapa. Horse of the Year candidate, Elite Power. Sackey's Warrior makes his move on the outside. Elite Power on the far outside. And Elite Power gets up to win the sprint. Elite Power is going to be clear. And going to take the rear to sprint by a widening margin. Five, five, all of you. Take a deep, down, or down. Nine, nine hundred. And nine hundred pounds. And nine. Standing at Judmont. You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Hello, I'm Kurt Becker. Thanks for joining me as I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. He was a champion and a Breeders' Cup winner. He was one of the most successful sires of our era and he was also a testament to the wisdom of being patient with a racehorse. His name was Spikestown. Fold on February 1st, 1998 at Taylor Made in Nicholasville, Kentucky, Spikestown was a chestnut son of Gone West out of Silken Cat by Storm Cat. While his sire was popular and ranked among the leaders of his generation, Spikestown's mother was an accomplished performer herself, having won the Sovereign Award as Canada's champion two-year-old filly of 1995. She also happened to be the source of her son's chestnut coloring. Bred by Aaron and Marie Jones, Spikestown was offered as a yearling at the Keeneland July sale, with Taylor Maid acting as agent on the Joneses' behalf. On the advice of Kentucky-based bloodstock agent and Canada native Dan Kenny, and also on the advice of trainer Todd Fletcher, Canadian pharmaceutical executive Eugene Melnick bought Spikestown for the price of $2 million. Melnick, a native of Canada, made his home in the Caribbean on the island of Barbados. He would thus choose the name Spikestown for his cult, with Spikestown being the name of a port city on the island's northwest side. Fletcher, a former assistant to D. Wayne Lucas, was 32 years of age and in only his fourth full season operating his own stable when Spikestown was a yearling. But he had already enjoyed success with Melnick, having won two legs of the Canadian Triple Crown in 1998 with the Melnick-owned Archers Bay. Fletcher told us by phone this week that a key to Spikestown's success as a racehorse was the fact that Melnick was willing to be patient. Fletcher put it into context by noting that Melnick had given $2 million for a colt which would take five years to reach his full potential. In fact, a combination of issues would cause Spitestown to be away from the races for nearly two full years at one point, but Melnick was willing to wait. Melnick himself commented on this in 2004 when Spitestown won the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Melnick said, quote, The moment a horse shows any sense of fatigue or distress, bring him to the farm, give him a little time. The end result is you can win a Breeders' Cup that way. Just give a horse time and eventually he will blossom into what you always dreamed he would be." End quote. Spikestown at age six had indeed become a Breeders' Cup winner. It capped a brilliant campaign in 2004, which also saw him win three consecutive grade two races, the Churchill Downs Handicap, the True North, and the Vanderbilt. Still, there had been at least some mild concern heading into Breeders' Cup weekend. In his final outing before the Breeders' Cup, Spitestown had finished third as the odds-on favorite in his Grade 1 debut in the Vosburg after stumbling at the start. And then there was the matter of his final workout, which daily racing form had described as less than encouraging when he struggled to keep up with his workmates. Fletcher says, quote, 
Angel Cordero was on him, and I had told him to keep him on the outside, that this horse hated to be inside of other horses. But I guess he misunderstood the instructions. He ended up putting Spikestown on the rail, and Spikestown finished the work about five lengths behind the rest, end quote. Those concerns notwithstanding, Spikestown went to the post for the 2004 Breeders' Cup Sprint at Lone Star Park as the lukewarm 7-2 favorite with John Velasquez aboard. Tom Durkin with the call. Astonishing pace here by Longshot Abundanza. Here comes Goldstorm to the attack of the outside. And Spikestown down at the rail. Those three heading into the final for long together. Spikestown comes away with the lead. Spikestown in front. Goldstorm battling on, but he is now spent. My cousin Matt, a long shot threat coming late. Juan and Charlie on the far outside. Kilo's coming late too, but it's going to be Spikestown. Spikestown wins by two on the wire. In what would be the final start of his career, Spikestown had won the Breeders' Cup Sprint and had clinched an Eclipse Award. It made for an incredible weekend for Pletcher, who earlier in the day had won the Distaff with eventual champion Ashado, all of which made for a fantastic homecoming for the Dallas native. Following that race, Spikestown retired to stallion duty at Windstar Farm in Versailles, Kentucky, and became what Elliot Walden of Windstar called a foundational sire for the organization. With 138 stakes winners and 26 grade one winners, the latter ranging from six furlongs to a mile and a quarter from 16 crops of racing age. Spikestown was a true six to seven furlong horse, says Pletcher. I had believed he would make a good sire, but I will admit his versatility surprised me. Spitestown died one week ago on Friday, December 8th at the age of 25. His legacy lives on through that versatility as a sire, and it also lives with regard to his racing days, for he leaves us with a lasting reminder that sometimes the road to a championship is paved with patience. Please join me again next week when I take another stroll through racing history presented by Keeneland. For HRRN, I'm Kurt Becker. And once again, my thanks to Kurt and to Keeneland for making those segments possible each and every week. If you have missed any of Kurt's Stroll Through Racing History segments, all you have to do is head back over to our website, horseracingradio.net. You can check out the special podcast page dedicated to those stories and listen to every single one. There have been some amazing ones. Go back and listen at horseracingradio.net. When I come back, Del Romans, Tim Wilkin, they will be here. It is this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer. This is the Equine Forum, presented by Twins Buyers on HRRN. This is HRRN, Horse Racing's Voice. Race the Twin Spires, where you can unlock a $25 risk-free bet. Just use the code HRRN25 when you sign up. And if your first bet doesn't win, Twin Spires will refund your account up to $25. Wagering on the app is fast with free pass performances, insider picks, and power plays every day you wager. Twin Spires. Download the app today to earn your $25 risk-free bet. Void where prohibited. For terms and conditions, visit TwinSpires.com. Must be 18 or older, 21 and older where applicable. For help with a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There are plenty of thrills at Gulfstream Park with live thoroughbred action Friday through Sunday and simulcasting seven days a week. Join us on track for weekend stakes races. Dine trackside in 10 Palms with an elevated view of the track and grab a cool cocktail in the Carousel Club. For reservations, tickets, and more, head to GulfstreamPark.com. 
The Maryland thoroughbred industry. For over 200 years, the innovative leader. Maryland was the first to have organized racing in North America and the first to establish a state breeders association. Maryland created the first thoroughbred yearling show, the first state magazine, the first state breeder incentive development program, the first international race to feature horses from four continents, and the first million dollar one day stallion stakes event. The Maryland thoroughbred industry is the innovative leader. The Run Happies are running, the Run Happies are selling, the Run Happies are winning. Eclipse champion Run Happy is showing a new dimension with winners on turf, dirt, in all weather. A record-breaking sprint champion, Run Happy is also signing winners at all distances. The son of Run Happy, Natala Fella, has won the hopeful. One happy mama wins the Iowa sorority. Run Happy, price for value and standing strong at Claiborne Farm. This is I Ask, They Answer on the Equine Forum on HRRN. And there's a quarter of a mile left to go. Despite being wide every jump, it's Value Engineering who's come away with the lead. From the inside in Sole Volante, ducking to the fence in Barberini. Eighth of a mile to go. It's still Value Engineering in front. Wicked Fast takes a shot at him on the outside. Value Engineering close to home on a clear lead. And Value Engineering proves much the best to win the Allen Jerkins a length and a half. Second, Wicked Fast. Up third, Barberini. Then Sole Volante. Caninos in 2.43 flat. Value Engineering back to defend his title in today's two-mile H. Allen Jerkin stakes at Gulfstream. Would racing be better if tracks carded more marathon turf races? Plus, Breeders' Cup juvenile winner Fierceness is expected to make his three-year-old debut in the Holy Bull stakes on February 3rd. But is that the right move? And Kentucky State Senate Majority Leader Damon Thayer will not seek re-election when his term concludes in December of 2024. What does his decision mean for the industry? Those topics and much, much more are straight ahead on this week's edition of I Ask, They Answer with trainer Dale Romans and turf writer Tim Wilkin. And it's all presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. And it all starts just 30 seconds from right now. Learn the business of horses in the world's only accredited equine business program, the University of Louisville Equine Business Program. The University of Louisville has a legacy of excellence educating and developing industry leaders for over 35 years. Classes are taught by industry experts in state-of-the-art facilities located in the heartland of America's equine industry. The University of Louisville Equine Business Program. When it comes to horses, we mean business. For more information, visit business.louisville.edu slash equine. All right, gentlemen, last week we began the show with a brand new segment called Like It, Love It, or Hate It, and I really liked it, so we're going to do it again this week. Two topics for you. You tell me if you like them, you love them, or you hate them. So number one, Churchill Downs announced a new partnership with the British Jockey Club along with Ascot Racecourse to offer a program where two races on Kentucky Derby Day will offer horses an entry and travel incentive to run at Royal Ascot in mid-June. The winner of the Old Forester Turf Classic will receive a berth to either the One Mile Queen Anne Stakes or the Mile and a Quarter Prince of Wales Stakes, and the winner of the Twin Spires Turf Sprint will receive an entry to the King Charles Stakes. Dale, like it, love it, or hate it? I love it. As long as they don't come along later and want more spots in the Kentucky Derby, I love it. I think it would be a great uh, incentive for someone to go over. And uh, I happen to have a nice turf sprinter. Maybe we could win that thing and go to Ascot. I want to see you in a top hat. 
Uh, that's the problem. I have to make a special one. I got a pretty big head. Especially if I'm going to Ascot off of a stakes win at Churchill, my head will be really big. <laughs> have you been to Ascot, Dale? I've never been. I've never been in Europe other than change planes, but I would like to go. I'd like to see it. I've never seen a real reason to go run. It's uh, the meat and potatoes of American racing, so I'd stay right here and run. But uh, everybody who's been says they treat them like royalty, so I'd love to go. Yeah, I love the automatic entry thing. I, I think it's a cool idea, and like you said, as long as it's uh, an entry into the races in Ascot and not another automatic bid into the Kentucky Derby, uh, I, I'm on the same page as you. Timmy, what do you think? Like it, love it, or hate it? Well, I like it. Um, it's hard for me to love anything. I mean, it's uh, and I'm not a hard guy, but um, it seems to me that you get a chance to run at Royal Ascot, you know, because to get there, you have to be invited to get, uh, to get an automatic bid for, for that and travel incentive, I think is just huge for American horsemen. And, you know, it's going to help the, um, Europeans too, because I believe that, um, that some of the horses that, um, that from like the Prince of Wales and the Queen Anne over in, and um, over there, get an entry to come back, come back over here to run the Arlington Million and uh, Beverly D at, mm -hmm. at Colonial. So I think it's a win-win for both both sides of the pond. And, yeah, I hope Dale gets to uh, get a horse to get over there because I'd pay to see him in the tails and the hat. I really would. Dale, do you think this makes any difference in the quality of those fields, they're always they always attract high caliber horses. But do you think that more trainers and owners now start thinking about those races on their schedule as opposed to uh, maybe bypassing those and taking a shot somewhere else? I doubt it. I doubt they they run just for that. But it's a nice incentive, and it's a uh, it's a clever thing to start working and, and meshing together European racing and American racing. Everything's always coming over here. It will be interesting to see how we can do going back across and racing against them. Yeah, the win in your in concepts have, have revolutionized the game in, in a lot of different ways, You know, starting with the Breeders' Cup and what we see there with that incredible program, and now we get a chance to see it with Churchill going the other way from Churchill Downs to Royal Ascot. All right, number two, Rapoli Stables Breeders' Cup juvenile winner Fierceness is likely to make his three-year-old debut in the Grade 3 Holy Bull Stakes at Gulfstream on February 3rd. Guys, only three horses who have competed in the Holy Bull have gone on to win the Kentucky Derby. Gopher Gin in 94, Funny Side in 2003, and Barbaro in 2006. That's it. So what do you think of this move? Do you like it, love it, or hate it, Tim Wilkin? I like it. I mean, you've got to start somewhere for your three-year-old year, right? And, um, you know, who's going to question Todd Pletcher where he's going to start his horse? Um, he's based in Florida. And that seems like the logical place for him to start. Well, the other one would be Fountain of Youth. Um, it, and, you know, since Barbaro ran in it, this is the research coming out, Dale. Since Barbaro ran in it in 2006, 31 horses who ran in the Holy Bull ran in the Kentucky Derby. And 10 of those horses won the Holy Bull. But the best finishes were Tis the Law, who was second in the COVID 2020 Derby, and Audible was third in 2018. And I'm sorry, and Mucho Macho Man was third in 2011. You know, I I, I think that the, that's a logical starting point for fierceness. And again, I'm not going to question Todd. I mean, he 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 puts his horses on a schedule, and more often than not, he's right. 
Yeah, I have to agree. I love it. I think uh, I'm a big Todd Fletcher fan, as you know. And if he's laying out a map for his horse, he's doing it for a reason. He knows his horse. He knows what he wants to do. And uh, who's just questioning? He's won a lot more derbies than I have. Well, Timmy mentions the other logical starting spot, which would be the Fountain of Youth Stakes. And a lot of times horses will bypass the Holy Bull and wait for the Fountain of Youth and then go to the Florida Derby and then right to the Kentucky Derby. I mentioned the three winner, the three winners coming from the Holy Bull. The Fountain of Youth has been good. It's had 14 Derby winners, and the Florida Derby is at the top of the list with 25, including last year's winner, Mage. Dale, what's the the perceived advantage of starting a horse early in the Holy Bull, or maybe the, the advantage of waiting for the Fountain of Youth? Well, there's two ways to look at it. You can either, if you if you got a big, heavy horse that needs to run, you think he needs a lot of races, it gives you the option to run in all three if you want. Or if you if you want to make your start early in the Holy Bull, go ahead and get that first start out of the way and then give him a little time between the Holy Bull and the Florida Derby, skip the Fountain of Youth. You just have to know your horse and what you think's best for him, and that's one thing Todd's great at. And the thing, too, is why, there's a lot more winners of the Fountain of Youth because that race has been around a lot longer than the Holy Bull, I believe. Yeah, the Fountain of Youth, again, 14 horses coming through there. We'll see how this plays out. But, it, it, again, you get a guy like Todd Putcher. He knows what he's doing, and he'll get fierceness started more than likely on February 3rd in that Holy Bull stakes. All right, guys, let's move on to the next topic, and this one involves some big news that came out this week. Kentucky Senate Majority Floor Leader Damon Thayer will not seek re-election when his term concludes in December of 2024. Thayer has been a huge ally to the thoroughbred industry during his 20-plus years in the Senate. How big of a loss is this for the industry? And, Dale, I, I know you know Damon well. Let me start with you. How big of a loss is this? No, it's a huge loss. Damon's a good friend, and I talked to him a couple of days ago right before he announced he, we were talking about some uh, racing issues that, that are going to come up in this legislative session. But he, he told me he was, he was not running again. I couldn't believe it. He loves being a senator, and uh, I loved having him in there. We could call any time, and he would answer, and, and he carried a lot of water for mm-hmm. all the, all areas of the horse racing industry, whether it be breeding or or the racetracks, or for the horsemen's groups, and he'll be greatly missed. You know, we've got a lot of friends in Frankfurt. Horse racing is so popular in Kentucky, and it's such an important part of our state that somebody will pick up the ball and run with it. But Damon's been great for us, and I hate to see him go. I'd have to concur with that, even though, you know, for me, being in New York, I've been watching it more from afar. But I met Damon um, this past fall Kentucky Downs. I believe he was in the paddock with Dale. And um, I became a fan immediately because he said he was a fan of our show and a fan of me. So I don't, I don't want him to leave. We, and he has Timmy, we, we knew there was one fan out there somewhere, Timmy. Now we know who it is. <laughs> and now I got to find, find another one. But no, that's just, but just, just looking at all the stuff he's done for racing in Kentucky, you know, he's a, been a friend to the sport. And um, you want to have friends in high places, and he's definitely that. And hopefully they have someone that uh, can even come close to what he did for, for the industry. Uh, yeah, he'll be missed. Dale, you mentioned there are other friends that the industry has in Frankfurt, and there are plenty of of folks in, in the legislature and, 
and uh, in the political system that support horse racing, certainly in the bluegrass. But, you know, Damon was the guy that always seemed to be at the forefront of every battle that racing was facing. And when it came to, you know, penny breakage, when it came to, um, you know, the, the instant racing machines and all of those different things, Damon was the guy who spearheaded all of those. How can he be replaced? I don't, he can't be replaced. One thing I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down and have a talk with Damon because he was the point man on all that stuff and he could get yeah. everybody in this, in the room together. I'm going to tell him, you've got to assign someone else the point man and give me their cell number. So, uh, we can, we can keep talking and, you know, hopefully he comes out and he wants to do some lobbying too. I think he'd be a great guy to go lobby Frankfurt from a, a different angle once he's out, but I'm sure Damon will find somebody to carry the torch for him. Well, he's got one more year. Again, he won't uh, step down until his term ends on, in December of 2024. So we've got one more year, and then we'll see where things go from there. But it will be uh, a big loss for the industry in Kentucky and really nationwide in that perspective. All right, it is t- that time of the show, guys, where we turn our attention and say hello to our good friend Nick Zito, and you get to tell me if the following statement is right or wrong. Yeah, right or wrong. Am I right? What do you think? Right or wrong? All right, one topic for you this morning. Today's H. Allen Jerkin Stakes at Gulfstream has attracted 10 runners, including defending champion value engineering. The race is going to be run at a distance of two miles on the turf. And I know what you're thinking, two miles on the turf. The race doesn't include a single jump. It is a straight flat race. And, guys, I, I love races like this. And I say the sport would be better off if tracks carted more of these types of marathon turf races is that right or wrong what do you think right or wrong timmy i think it's right um obviously the these are specialists that that, that, that run a distance of ground that you don't see it often um you have the other race that comes to mind the belmont gold cup um this race the jerkins in in at Gulfstream. stream I mean, last year it it wasn't run at two miles because the weather put it back on the uh, the tapita. They ran it a mile and five eighths. I suppose there's a chance that could happen today because the weather isn't supposed to be great. But you know, people love to bet on turf races, and there's so many um, <clears throat> angles to go go with when you're running at two miles. So I think uh, as long as they get the horses to to, to do this, I I, I mean I, I don't want to see them card. You know. A two mile race every week, but you know, the, the fact that you've got horses that this is what they love to do, yeah, I, I think it's great for the game. Yeah, I love longer races. I think you're 100% right on this one. I wish they ran a lot, I wish they ran more everyday races at longer distances. One thing the great Alan Jerkins did tell me a long time ago, he said, when we started shortening up all these races and running so many more short races. There was no place for the slow horse that wanted to keep running forever. And he said back in the old days in New York, they would have mile and a half, two-mile races all the time. And he said if you had a horse that was slow, you could find a place for it to win races. It was just because they had a lot of stamina. And I'd like to see us get back to running. Plus, they're good betting races. If you can get a big field in a long race like that, they're actually uh, very popular with the betters. Dale, do you think the sport has enough of those types of horses in it now for tracks to consider carting more of those types of races? I think they're out there. I think you had to convince people that the horses can do it. But uh, I think there's a lot of horses out there that just they don't have any real problems. They're just not fast enough and quick enough, but they'll run forever. And, and uh, 
I think there's plenty of them out there. You just it would it would be a it would be a a tough go to get people's mindset to start running long like that. But I wish it would happen. I like those old long races, and I like route horses. Do you have any in your barn now? I got plenty of slow horses in my barn that could benefit <laughs> from the long, long races. That's the, that might be the problem. <laughs> you could be the Chad Brown then of this division. Yes, exactly. The, Alan, Alan loved them, and that's one thing. It's, it's that's one reason they carted this race for him, a, a marathon race like this, because he loved long races and he was well outspoken about it. Yeah, they're kind of a throwback type of race, and I, I wish we would see more of these. But for now, we'll just enjoy this two-mile Alan Jerkins this afternoon at Gulfstream. All right, we'll welcome Nick Zito back to the program for that segment next week. But we'll move on to one more topic before Dale and Tim make their final point of the week. And this one, guys, I want to thank our friend Ron and Nor- Rhonda Norby over at Equibase for helping to steer me in the direction of some of these statistics. And this is going to get a bit confusing, so bear with me. Steve Asmussen currently leads all trainers by number of wins in 2023 and is number three on the overall earnings list behind Brad Cox and Todd Pletcher. Brad Cox is just ahead of Chad Brown in total stakes wins this year with Asmussen and Pletcher right behind in third and fourth places respectively. But it is Chad Brown who tops all trainers by number of graded stakes wins in 2023. So I'm going to ask you, which trainer is your MVP this year? Tim Wilkin, what do you think? Well, the MVP, that would sort of be the Eclipse Award then too, right? Correct? Um, sure, it could be. Well, so then I'm not going to vote for any of them. I'm, I'm giving it to Bill Mott because I think he had the better year of all of them. So he's your and MVP. I know that he's my MVP. I know Chad Brown had 39 graded stakes wins. Um, and he, Chad, Chad had 12 grade ones, as, as did Brad Cox. Bill Mott had 10 grade ones, but he won three on Breeders' Cup Day. Chad won two. But 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 Mott also won the Met Mile, and he won the Pegasus World Cup. I just think he had the phenomenal year. He's going to get my – I think he's going to get – yeah, he's going to get my vote for the top trainer for the Eclipse Award. So I, I, I'm going off the board. I'm, that's, that's who my MVP is. Well, you, you stole my line. Uh, all three of them had great – all four had great years. And, I, and yes, I'm going with Bill Mott, too. He's my MVP and my Eclipse Award-winning trainer this year. I think what he did this year was pretty outstanding and uh, deserves recognition, and he should win the Eclipse Award. I mean, the, the, the barn that he had, I mean, the Elite Power, Cody's Wish, um, Warlike Goddess, um, you know, he, he, he just had – um, just FYI, he just he had a barn full of talented runners, and um, you know he, he should be rewarded for the the job he did with all of those great runners. It was Murderers Row that's what I called them when I would see them up at Saratoga every morning. I think he, he he's he's my MVP. So what carries more weight? I mean, you guys are talking about Bill Mott. He didn't win the number of greatest stakes that Chad Brown won. He doesn't have the number of overall wins that Steve Asmussen has or stakes wins that Brad Cox has. So you're saying it's it's more quality over quantity with Bill Mott, and that's enough to get it done? I don't think it's who's done the most of anything. I think it's who's done the most with what they had. And and uh, if you look at it that way, I think Bill's a unanimous winner. Mm. Yeah, that's a great you way know, to put you, it. You look at, you know, if you look at the, the game – 
um, the biggest races on our calendar each year are the Triple Crown races. And we're not talking about any of the trainers that the trainer. the Triple Crown race. And, you know, Rick Dutrow won the Breeders' Cup Classic. We're not talking about him. I mean, I think that uh, the, you, you you want to reward the person that that just uh, excelled with the horses in his barn. I mean, Bill Mott, I think, you know, compared to uh, he had less starters than Brad or Todd or Steve and Chad. I think he had only 625 starters, but he was fifth in earnings. So he's more than a deserving winner, I think, this year with what happened. It went 24 total graded stakes wins for Bill. Dale, what do trainers cherish more? Winning a large number of races like Steve Asmussen or winning the right races like, say, Chad Brown, the greatest stakes wins? Which, which one's more important to a trainer? I think if you boil it down, it would be the greatest stakes wins, and then it goes to grade one wins in a year. I mean, my clips were year I won nine, and I know – thought of one more money and, and, a, and a couple more grade one stakes but i guess they looked at what we're talking about what happened with what we had and uh but yeah it, they're both great things to have though but if guys don't have graded horses and they want to win a lot of races and that's important and it's a it's a big deal and you know i don't want to run down anybody for for having great statistics and all four of those guys had great years and but only one of them can win the Eclipse Award. And I think what Bill did was what he had and how he, they started out the year good and finished the year good. And that's all you can ask. Mm. Yeah, interesting. We'll see if Bill Mott can take home the hardware. We'll see if the voters agree when the uh, votes are cast in early January for those Eclipse Awards. Uh, all right, guys, let's move on to the final segment. It is the time for you each to make one final point this week before we wrap up the show. So, Timmy, let's start with you. What is your final point of the week? Before I get into the final point, I want to make sure I did mention Cody's wish, didn't I? The Bill Mott stables. I did yes. mention it, didn't I? Okay. I believe so. All right. Well, if I didn't, I did now. But my final point is just a shout out to uh, the newest members of the Joe Hirsch Media Media Roll of Honor at the National Museum of Racing was announced this week. And um, Dick Girardi, longtime Philadelphia Daily News writer, is going going in there along with the late Paul Moran from Newsday. And John Henry, John, is that his name? Uh, I think it's his name. But he, he was back in the 1890s. They're all they're all going into to, to the uh, Hall of Hall of Fame media um, media honor roll, and they're all deserving. Even though I didn't know John. Well put. Uh, and congratulations to those guys. My final point is a little bit political. You know, I was this week named to the HISA advisory board. I've heard from a lot of people, a lot of positive and a few negative from my friends saying I'm sleeping with the enemy and uh, different things. And what I want to point out to everybody in horse racing, this was an act of Congress. This is a federal law. We'll let the, the courts decide whether or not it's constitutional. Let that play out through the court system. But it is. it would take an act of Congress literally right now to get rid of it. So I want to be involved, and I think every horseman should be involved, and we try to mold it and make it better and make it and make them do their job the right way and help racing because it's not going anywhere. Yeah, I think HISA is here to stay, and uh, in that respect, everybody rowing in the same direction would be uh, a welcome change with racing right now, and we'll see how this all plays out. 
Uh, Timmy, just so you know, it is John Hervey. John Hervey. You're correct. Yeah, John Hervey. John Hervey. Uh, I don't know why I said Henry. The, yeah, the third Apologies. member of the uh, honor roll. John Henry, already a member of the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I know. He's four-legged. <laughs> John Hervey. John Hervey. I had too much eggnog today. Yep, yep. Amen. All right, guys. Appreciate the uh, the conversation here this morning. We're going to do it all over again next week. Uh, enjoy the races this weekend. Thanks, all right, guys, Mike. All right. Don't forget, if you have a topic you want to hear Dale and Tim discuss, simply email that topic to me, Mike, at horseracingradio.net, and I'll get it worked in. I can promise you they love when our listeners ask them questions and submit topics for them to debate. So make sure you do that. I Ask the Answer is presented by the University of Louisville Equine Industry Program and the College of Business. I'm back with more. This is the Equine Forum on the Horse Racing Radio Network. Hi, Tony. Hey, Matthew. There's a reason why Tony Steaks and Seafood is my favorite restaurant. It's because I want to feel part of the family. Isn't that right, Tony? That's right. There's a saying on the wall that I truly believe in. There's always room for one more at our table. We just want you to be part of our family. And believe me, you will be. It's Tony Steaks and Seafood right across from Triangle Park. Visit them at TonySteaksAndSeafood.com. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again or giving much-needed support to injured warriors and veterans' hospitals, because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. We never leave a fallen warrior behind. Ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. James Brown and Bill Cower welcoming you back to Dennis Melvin's house. It's time for the Midnight Snack Run. This is one tricky obstacle course. Sticking to healthy habits in this kitchen is going to take focus and determination, but it can be done, JB. He's already entered the snack part of the course, and he's eyeballing a jar of chocolate candy. That is tempting right off the start. Uh-oh. He's reaching, Bill, but he pushes it away. Great stiff arm. He's approaching a plate of delicious-looking iced cookies. Oh, Dennis, you only want one of those. He blows right by him for the apple. Oh, the fridge. It's make or break time, JB. He stares down some rich-looking treats. Uh-oh. Looks like he's headed for the soda. Wait, he jukes left, grabs the water bottle, and shuts the door with his elbow in record time. Unbelievable move. I gotta see that again. And he's out. He even turned off the light. That's the way you execute a midnight snack run. Stand up to cancer and rally. Want you to reduce your risk for cancer. Go to takeahealthystand.org. Trainer Talk, presented by Phasing Tipton. Please join me in welcoming Hall of Fame trainer Todd Fletcher. Hall of Fame trainer Nick Zito on Trainer Talk. Welcome Hall of Famer Bob Baffert to the program. Hall of Fame trainer Shug McGahee, nice enough to spend some time with us. Hall of Fame trainer Bill Mott here on Trainer Talk. Dual Hall of Fame trainer Mark Cassie. Trainer Talk, the biggest names in horse racing. Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern. Sirius 162, XM 207, and streaming live at horseracingradio.net. 
You're listening to the Equine Forum on HRRN, presented by Twin Spires. Barbaro turns up the pressure and puts his neck in front. Flashy Bull goes after him in second. Then it's two and a half lengths to My Golden Song, third and three from the front, and they head to the top of the stretch, and Dr. Deckard's not done yet. He battles back inside of Barbaro. These two are just a length in front of Flashy Bull. Then comes My Golden Song, and they run to the top of the stretch in the Holy Bull, and Barbaro and Dr. Deckard are still one-two. Flashy Bull races next. Then it's two and a half to My Golden Song, and Barbaro gets the test. Flashy Bull has run up into second. Barbaro reaches for the final furlong, and Barbaro leads by a length and a half. Great Point is charging from the back of the pack. Barbaro is in front. Great Point tries to pass them all, but he can't pass Barbaro! That's Vic Stoffer with the call of the 2006 running of the Holy Bull. Barbaro, the last horse to come from that race and win the Kentucky Derby. And boy, was he brilliant in both of those races. And we know how good he turned out to be. And uh, yeah, Barbara, one of only three horses to come from the Holy Bull. We'll see if fierceness, if indeed he makes that race on February 3rd, if that continues to be the plan for the juvenile champion, if he ends up becoming number four on the first Saturday in May. I mentioned the Fountain of Youth with 14 winners coming from that race. It's been a very productive prep race. And of course, the Florida Derby, as we know, the number one derby prep in the history of our sport with 25 winners coming from there. But the Fountain of Youth, last year, Mage ran in the Fountain of Youth, if you recall. He didn't win it. He was fourth. Uh, Orb in 2013 and Thunder Gulch in 1995, the most recent runners to come from that one. Uh, but that's a race with all kinds of history when it comes to producing Kentucky Derby winners. Go for gin, spectacular bid, um, going back to Tim Tam the first horse in 1958 to win the Fountain of View Stakes and then go on to win the Kentucky Derby. So that race has produced a lot of big winners, but they have decided, at least at this point anyway, to point for the February 3rd Holy Bull Stakes with fierceness and get him started there. Now, does he go in the Fountain of Youth after that, or do they await the Florida Derby and then go into the Kentucky Derby that way? We'll we'll have to wait and see. Um, But Dale brought up the point that if you have a big, heavy type of horse that needs to kind of race themselves into shape. It's usually a good idea to go ahead and get them started earlier and give yourself a little bit more time as opposed to waiting for the Fountain of Youth. And I thought that was a a great point there during I Asked They Answer. Hey, don't forget the Blood Horse Magazine is the perfect holiday gift for the horse lover on your list or for yourself, by the way. It's the gift that keeps on giving all year long. And right now, when you subscribe to the Thoroughbred Industries Premier Monthly Magazine, you're going to receive a 2024 Blood Horse calendar, which is a $24.95 value. And guess what? It's absolutely free. Go to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN or to buy a beautiful Blood Horse calendar, you can go to shop.bloodhorse.com. But why not get the magazine and then the free calendar by going to bloodhorse.com slash HRRN. Yeah, the Florida Derby. My goodness. You look at the horses that have... And up until... Last year with Mage, when Mage, of course, was second behind Forte in the Florida Derby, you had to come back to 2017 when Always Dreaming won it. But that ended a streak where if you went back to 20, let's say 2001, you had Monarcos in 01, Barbaro, and these are all horses that won both races. They won the Florida Derby and then went on and won the Kentucky Derby. Monarcos in 01, Barbaro in 06, you had Big Brown in 2008, Orb in 13, Nyquist in 2016 and then Always Dreaming in 2017. That's one heck of a run 
for that prep race. The one that we keep waiting, it, it, well, two really, the Wood Memorial and the Bluegrass Stakes. The Bluegrass is second on the list with most Derby winners with 23. The Wood Memorial sitting at 20. So both of those horses historically have had a lot of success, but boy, it has been a while. The Bluegrass Stakes, you have to go back to 2007 with uh, Street Sense to find the last horse to come out of that race and win. And you have to go back to 1991 and strike the gold if you're going to find the last horse to win both. And how about the Wood? The Wood funny side, 20 years ago in 2003, the last horse to to run in the Wood and win the Kentucky Derby. He was second in that 2003 edition of the Wood Memorial. And then Fusaichi Pegasus in 2000, the last horse to pull off the Wood Derby double. So it's it's been a while for those two races, which is somewhat mind-boggling when you think of the, the horses that have come through those races over the past uh, 20 years or so. We'll see. The road to the Kentucky Derby starting to heat up already, and we haven't even gotten to the new year yet. I love talking Derby. All right, my thanks to all of our guests who made this show possible here this morning, including Ashley Anderson for the Twins Buyers Triple Play, Kurt Becker for his stroll through racing history, and Dale and Tim in the previous segment. My thanks to all of them for taking time to be here again this morning. My thanks to my producer, Lee Delapina in our Lexington studio, and to Chauncey for handling all of our social media. Check out the podcast at horseracingradio.net and every podcast platform, and follow us on social media. My thanks to you for listening to the show here today. I'm Mike Penna. Uh, Go Steelers.